check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Debate Night. I'm Hunter, joined as always by Brody. Got quite a lot of topics and had a lot of topics just kind of thrown on us today, too. It's it's unbelievable. You know, I thought for a second we might have had the Griplock curse where, you know, you go on the show and then all of a sudden breaking news happens the next day. But luckily, it broke prior to that. We're going to jump into all sorts of different topics. And as always, we will take your guys' calls, which last last episode, that was probably the spiciest it's gotten. Yeah, it probably was. And I definitely think so. I'm a little I'm a little sad right now because I was excited for the possibility of getting Silas back in here, get him on potentially with a mic and a camera so you guys can see him uh, if you're watching this on YouTube. And we were going to Julius Caesar. We were going to go old school Julius Caesar on the calls because in the chat, they are very, uh, you know, during this live on YouTube here, they are very active with what should be continued mm-hmm. and what should be ended. And so uh, unfortunately, Silas isn't here for that. So we're just going to have to do it ourselves. Yeah. And that also means that we're producing the show ourselves. So uh, again, if you're in the chat, if you're listening on audio, give us a little bit of leeway. Give us some feedback. If you're in the chat live, if you're listening in the audio, just trust that at some point during the show, we'll fix whatever ends up going wrong because inevitably something will go wrong. I that's just, that's just what happens. I, with I, live feel, I have good feelings about tonight. So uh, yeah, so Julius Caesar. So you know, I'll be I'll be looking in the chat a little bit. We're on phone calls, and you know, if you see my my thumb go up, that's basically you means know, you're on the line. It, it means, means it means yeah. Well, I guess it won't go up. It'll go here. It starts in the middle, and if it's like okay, that's a good question. Yeah, and or yeah, if someone comes on and says, hey, I want to talk about live versus post, like you're probably getting straight down. We're just gonna over. hang up. So yeah. um, tonight, that's I'm gonna. F- forewarn people if you do call in tonight you might get hung up we'll need to we'll need to re-remind them when the live call is about to that's happen. true because there's more so that, people yeah okay. so that no one gets butt hurt thinking that they just got hung up on for no reason i have i have no mercy um yeah. oh we do want to show you guys real quick uh, the polos we got some polos dropping yeah, uh, they might have seen these teased in a few different areas but mm-hmm. uh very limited first run here dropping tomorrow the foundation mountain polo collarless polo so it's got Two buttons on the front. I believe yep. it's technically called a blade polo, but uh, full I, foundation branding, even on the tag. Pretty proud of this. And then uh, foundation disc golf on the back. I wore this during my uh, third round during the Battle for Bedford, and I have to tell you guys, one of my favorite polos. Yeah, I'm going to be rocking this at USDGC with. quite a bit next week. Not yeah. as a player. I will be on the sidelines. But yeah, it's got a decent, very decent bit of give to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, moves it absorbed with you. the moisture well. I yeah. sweat a lot when I play, so uh, it's got a good, it's got a great like dry fit feel to it. I really yeah. like it. Um, so you need to check uh, that out. Uh, that'll be on foundationdisc.com. Yeah, and depending on how popular this run is, we might, we might bring run. them bring them back. We do have another design coming in that's going to be here a little bit later, but yeah. uh, pretty pretty excited for that that release. And then as always, we got the fall line coming. Pretty, pretty soon. A lot of stuff in the pipes, man. A lot of stuff. That's not what people say. What do people say? A lot of stuff coming down the pipe. Coming down the pipe. So technically, it is in the pipes. It is in the pipes, but it is now moving down. Now it is moving down the pipes. Towards being released. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about the national tour situation. I think this was something that we all knew was... I don't even want to try to say this word. It's one of the hardest words to say. Inevitable. Ooh. Yeah, that was a, one hit. Inevitable wonder? is not a hard word. to no, say. No, it is for me. It is. Okay. It is for me. Okay. Um, I think we all knew this was eventually going yes, to happen. Yes, it was definitely coming down the pipe. 
I do think, though, however, <laughs> that this announcement, I would say two things. The announcement was way sooner than I thought mm-hmm. as far as like if, if it was going to happen, I would have thought the announcement would have occurred once the season was over. And then also I would say I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought we were going to have one more year of where it was like a slow phase out process. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, I think with a lot of the backlash from players, from spectators, from fans watching at home, I I think the PDJ finally said, Hey, we need to take a step back. We can't run the pro level tournaments as well as the disc golf pro tour. We need to give our reins over. And now it looks like they're turning into potentially like a rules kind of, uh, organization that is working with the disc golf pro tour if i'm correct right yes yeah in that side you're correct but in i read the article um i read the article i also read or listened to the video nate heinold on the nick and matt show they did like a pop-up uh interview with him Mm -hmm. he's apparently he has replaced the jerk move guy who, oh. The one who will not be mentioned is now oh. Nate Heinold has taken well, that, that place. guy. Yeah, that guy was already kind of. Yeah, he had said that he, he was, was one foot out. out the door. Yeah. So that's that wasn't a surprise. But he's, Nate Heinold has taken over as that position. But um, Nate Heinold and the PDJ article and the PDGA has been doubling down that this has nothing to do with player feedback at all. They, they're saying that well, player feedback, they're like, the players really didn't have... That's a PDGA stance. Yeah, of where that's nothing, what I'm saying. They're, nothing they're, bad's happening. They're just doubling down that, like, the complaints basically... Because their whole stance is with the tour standard for the national tour. We met. The pro tour continuously exceeded. We've been wanting to be able to pass this along, and this was the year to do so. I will say, I think the reason that this announcement happened now is I believe that now that the national tour pro tour season's over, the schedule is supposed to come out around Friday or Saturday. So they had to make the announcement soon because once the schedule comes out, it wasn't really going to be an announcement. Uh, So I think that's kind of why. Now, why they're posting the schedule now versus after USDGC and the Pro Tour finale. Yeah. I don't know. But what, um that's that's kind of was the reasoning behind it that I had heard. What's the situation with Worlds? Are they still running Worlds? The PDJ still will control the majors minus USDGC because Innova owns that you know. Yeah. What the PDJ ends up doing with that who knows. But the PDJ will still own the majors. They'll still be the sanctioning body. Um so they'll still be the ones kind of behind all the sanctioning all of that. It looked like within this deal there was also some additional membership feedback which we'll go into more detail on grip lock yeah. uh tomorrow but it looked like some uh just for being a pga member you'll get a little more access to disc golf network content stuff like that um that makes it a little bit more beneficial to a pga member but i think this will be an interesting question for you because i've been in the sport years i've mm-hmm. been a pga member for years mm-hmm. this is your first full year being a pga member mm-hmm. Where does your money go as a PDJ member? Where, what would you think are some things happening because I, of your money? I think, I mean, it's the same thing I dealt with with Ultimate too. Like Ultimate, you be you had to pay $35 or $45 to be a USA Ultimate member to be able to play in these tournaments. It's, it's tough to say exactly where that money goes. Um, you know, you always hear like, oh, the numbers are there. You can look into the financials and stuff. I know you guys, I don't want to spoil it. I know you guys are going to, in grip lock, dig in a little bit more on these purses, just magically, like money's just magically showing up, um, which again, people at home might be like, don't ever be upset. Why are you upset that more money's in the purse? I don't, that's not our stance. Our stance is not we're upset that more money's in the purse. The it's more why, is, was it? why wasn't it there in the first place? 
So I know you guys are going to dig into that deeper. But we but actually want to at some point do, and it's probably going to be an off season, a full like sit down with an accountant, full PDGA I love audit. That. I don't want to talk during it at all. I just want to listen. That's what I'm saying. Which is very rare, by the way. We want to do a full PDGA. But that's what I'm saying is I think that because a lot of people I saw on social media were basically saying like the PDGA is gone because mm-hmm. what they thought of the PDGA was the national tour. And then other people think of the PDGA as a rating. Other people think of the PDGA, like for me, as the sanctioning body, the rules body, and the people who also, you know, if you don't have uh, insurance for your event, you can also use their insurance, stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff the PDGA does behind the scenes, but they obviously do more than that as far as the growth of the sport and stuff like that goes. I just think that as of right now, it's not being marketed very well so that a newer player has no idea. What is my, why would I pay 50 bucks a year or 75 bucks a year to be a PDGA member? You only do what are my tangible benefits or like what is, even if it's not tangible, what is my money going into to farther the growth of the sport? Where is that money going? That money is going places and there's only two reasons not to share it. Either a, it's a bad uh, marketing play, like you just are messing up, which I think that's more so what it is. Or B, you don't want people to truly know where the money's going. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily it, but who knows? Maybe that is because they do post their 501c3. They have to the full audit at the end of every year. Yeah. Uh, so you can kind of look in a little bit more, but some of it's in somewhat obscure places. I would um, love, yeah, I would love to see, I would love to see what an accountant looks like at it and just get a better idea. And again, like, you know, if I go and I pull up their numbers, I, I'm not an accountant. I don't really know what I'm looking at. Exactly. So I think that would be an awesome episode to kind of break in and, and really like have people have a good idea, like almost like yeah. uh, what is it? Hook on, hooked on phonics. Well, I think it's an important thing for, for people to accounting. know. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's an important thing for people to know when where, I pay where the PDGA, where is it going beyond the benefits directly to me? Yeah, because I think that will help people and that would help the PDGA to see. Like membership wise, if people knew I'm paying 50 bucks, sure, I might only play three tournaments. So I could have just paid the 30 non PDJ mm-hmm. fees. Sure, I get a rating, I get all these stuff to me. But now my money's also going into these programs, X, Y, and Z, yeah. that's helping grow the sport get and it's more tangible youth results. Playing and exactly. Stuff. Yeah. stuff like that is going on. It's just that we as members a lot of times never hear about it mm. unless you go and read every article on the PDJ website. And so mm. stuff like that can be tough to where when the year comes back around people are like, why am I paying money to the PDJ? And it's like, these things that are happening that are very good that the PDJ should have been focused on this whole time. Um, but stuff like the national tour and stuff like that, were clouding the promotional side of the PDJ to where we couldn't actually see what's going on behind the curtain. And I think that if it's good stuff, it'll be a good thing for the PDJ. That's off the plate. They can show it. If it's bad stuff, it'll be a good thing for us as the players because now yeah. be able to hold them accountable once you can actually say hey look what's going on here yeah so. and that was the other thing that i think the pdga has like doubled down on which again we'll talk about this more on grip locked is um it just is in my mind i lost it oh they're basically being like oh well of, of course the pro tour can do it better that's not all we're focused on the national tour and i'm like well if it if the national tour was the like a elite level tour that you're tying your name to then you should have had 20 people focused on it year round. They're like, yeah. yeah, well, the Pro Tour has 30 people focused on just the Pro Tour. Like, of course, they're putting out a good product. I'm like, I, just, uh, I don't like the doubling the, down. I don't the like reason, the just, uh, we're not wrong. We're going to double yeah, down. It's that. the reason why Five Guys doesn't do milkshakes. Because the they only do what thing. they're good at. Yeah, because they're, they know that they, they make really good burgers and really good fries. And if they make milkshakes, they have to make really good milkshakes. And they don't, they don't know if they can pull that yeah. off. 
Yeah, so, like I said, again, we'll talk about... I don't know about, if that was a good analogy, but I love Fry Guys. We'll talk guys. about it. You, always, you bring Five Guys. Fry Guys? Time. Five Guys? Five Guys. Yeah, but I definitely think this is something we'll talk about more on Grip Locks. I think it's a more of a... Can I have It's less of a debate. Guys? You probably can. It's less can of a I? debate topic and more of just a let's talk through and see what's going on. Well, topic. you know what? Let's debate this. I don't know if we're going to disagree. We might actually disagree on one of these divisions. We, uh, If you guys were living under a rock, the Ryder Cup just happened. Go USA. Uh, I do believe we do not have a lot of European listeners. If I remember from the uh, looking at the demo, you can. Maybe, oh, whoa, you can whoa, 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 whoa. Pause pick- everything. Five guys has milkshakes. What? <laughs> so your whole analogy that you've used, who knows how many no, times? No, no, no. How been. do you know that? Just because some person said I've it? I've got multiple people in the chat. You've used this analogy against me so many times that Five Guys doesn't do milkshakes. They now didn't. I'm getting, I'm they getting didn't. so many people telling me Five Guys is doing milkshakes. I haven't had Five Guys in a couple years, to be fair, but they didn't have milkshakes. I'm, go- I'm just Googling it. This is oh very important stuff. You use this against me all the time. Well, I, I went into a five guys. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, I would, I would spend like an extra $5, $4 here. Every time I come here, if, if you guys had milkshakes and they're like, we don't want to do milkshakes cause we do fries and burgers really good. And we don't want to like risk having a terrible product. Now, in my defense, I won't know because I'm allergic to everything on the Five Guys menu because I can't have red meat. But everyone's saying they have milkshakes and they're delicious. So right let's, here. let's freaking Hand, go. Hand-spun vanilla I milkshakes. Live under, I live under a rock. Hand-spun vanilla milkshakes with or without, this is from their website, with or without whipped cream. Do they have strawberry? Choose many of our free mix-ins. Oh, boy. Bacon, bananas, strawberries, chocolate, oh, malted milk, man. Oreo cookie pieces, peanut butter, salted caramel, or vanilla. Oh, where's the, Not nearest, a sponsor. Where's the nearest Five Guys? Ward Road, 15 minutes away. All right, we're going there tomorrow. 10 minutes my away. gosh. Uh, right next to blaze well i just want to say i apologize for everything i've ever said yeah i mean the amount of times you've used that analogy to try to prove me wrong and now i just know i've been right this whole time i feel like it's only been once it's been at least two or three times but keep going back to Ryder. i love five guys not really that important Ryder cup so Ryder cup usa dominated uh it was phenomenal performance by usa i kind of had a feeling going into it that was probably what was going to happen they lost the previous Ryder cup in europe badly uh and the Ryder cup's a really really interesting tournament because it goes back and forth every two years and the following two the the next Ryder cup will be held in europe and they get to pick the course and they also get to kind of set up the course so in disc golf that would be fascinating because let's just say you have your your european team can't really throw that far but they're really really good in the woods you're going to make when it comes over there you're going to make a really hard wooded course for all of our american bombers that come over and really struggle that's basically what happened in golf um so the question is if disc golf had their rider cup which i know the president's cup i know people say that but that's not really because that's like mixed that's like men and women playing together right there's two fpo players on yeah i'm not talking about that i'm talking about straight men versus men uh rider cup usa versus europe and women versus women usa versus europe okay so two basically rider cups an fpo division and an mpo however you want to how you want to say it so let's let's talk about the women first and uh just kind of i just pulled up the world rankings and right now the women have the number one and number two players in the world on europe with kristen tatar and evelina um respectively and then you've got three and four Paige pierce and haley king i think and we're, for for FPO, I think we agreed to have four players. Yes, right. Four. We we'd said four FPO and eight MPO. Okay. 
So right now, I think we both agree that both all four of those are on the team. Yes. Okay. And then after that, you have Hina. I think she's for sure on Europe. I think those three. She's on my European team. Yeah. I think those are three are locked. And then for the, the women, it gets interesting because you have Kat, Holcomb, Missy all right there. And I think there is a little bit of a drop off probably after that. But like, I feel like with match play, putting is going to be so crucial. And so like if Kat is putting well, I think she's in it for sure. And then you have Holcomb versus Gannon. And I think Gannon might get the nudge there. I was like, here's my four on both sides. All right. Because um, the, the fourth one for European in the top 10 would be Heidi. Uh, Lane, Heidi Lane. Lane. Yeah. So um, Europe, yeah. I'm just taking your top four. Chris Nittar, Evelina Salonen, Hina Blomroos, and Heidi Lane. Yeah. I'll explain why that was such a neat decision here in a well, second. I don't think you need to because I agree with you. USA, so I'm going start. Paige, yep. Haley. Yep. I am going Kat. Okay. And then I'm going Missy. Okay. Valerie Mandahano, I would bring as an alternate and just look at the course. Dark horse, but okay. But I wouldn't. We're not really doing. We're not really doing all. Okay, we're doing alternate. Okay. okay, then I'm locking in Missy. Okay, um, I think I would agree with you. Actually, okay. I think I'd pick the same. And I'm going to go ahead and say. Oh, do we, should we say who we think would win? Well, yeah, that's what I was going. That's what well, I was going to explain my European the, team. But do you know the situation? How it's going to break down? No, you can. You can walk that. Okay. Walk me through that. So, I don't think it's going to change my decision making, but walk me through it. So basically, what they would do is they would do. Well, it might be weird with only four, but essentially you would have foursomes, is what they call them, and so it's basically alternate shot. So you go alternate shot, and so the first day you would have two matches, or you'd have four matches, two in the morning, two in the afternoon. Yeah. Second day, same thing, two in the morning, two in the afternoon. And then the final day you'd go singles, so there'd be four matches as well. Well, there'd be two, two, two matches, two, four, so it'd be eight matches total. Okay. Sticking with what I was going to say. The phenomenal thing, though, another thing which would be really fun is they don't, like... Me, if I'm if I'm the captain of the European team, we alternate, and you're the captain of the European uh, U- U.S. team. We alternate who like gets to select the team for uh, as far as pairings go. So I'll say first person or first group off is going to be Kristen and Hannah, and you've already decided who your first person is, and so we match up that way. So that's I mean I, that's kind of fun because you don't really like get to know who's going against who. Does that make sense? Maybe not. That I might know. that might have gone way over your head. I, I, Regardless, I thought, who do you got? I came in who do just you thinking. Got? Who do you got? I got Europe because my whole reason is it didn't matter. I didn't know Heidi Lane was even in the top 10 mm-hmm. women in the world right now. You didn't that even, even solidifies it because all I was thinking is that the three, if you put Kristen, Evelina, and Henna on the same team yeah. right now. They're winning their singles match every time? Yeah, I think that no one's touching them right now. Okay, and then they just need to pick up a couple a couple foursome matches and they win. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with, with with what we've seen on the American side, right? Because we, I, I don't really watch too much European disc golf. It's hard um, to watch right now. It's difficult because it's you. You have to go searching for it a lot more than, than the, the pro the, tour, the disc golf network. But yeah. uh, from what I've seen with when Kristen came over and how she just, you know, she was just starting to kind of get into the flow and the rhythm of things. It. <laughs> yeah, and she's right now. Well, I guess she is right now the number one in the world. But Evelina's given her run for her money multiple times, yeah. and Henna. Not to say that tough. Paige and Haley won't. No, but I, if you're a betting man, I think you got to go Europe every time. Right now, yeah, I would agree. 
So, I agree. But that would be, I mean, gosh, that would be, let's just talk about how phenomenal that would be if we watch that. So NPO are going eight both sides? This is, this, this is tough because I just, I just opened up the top 10. You're not going to find a European player. And again, this, this is where it's kind of funky junky, right? Is because a part of me is like, well, of course you're not going to have European people in the top because they're playing over here. And I don't really know how the world rankings factor figure, all that factors in. all that in. Cause you're playing a different pool versus the Americans playing over here. But clearly, it didn't stop the European. It's pretty women. accurate on the FPO side. It didn't you, stop the European. Yeah. So you have to think that it has to be somewhat accurate for exactly. For MPO, That's what I was about to say. Is it? Right? It's, it's relatively accurate for FPO from what we've seen. So like if it's Paige be relatively Haley, accurate for yeah, MPO. Page and Haley are one and two, and Kristen and uh, Evelina were three and four. Then we'd be like, okay, there's something weird going on here. Uh, maybe it's just a point situation. But looking at this, I mean. If you literally just took the top eight guys, which I don't think I actually would, I think I would slip down a little bit, but I would take for sure Ricky, for sure Eagle, for sure Paul, Heimberg, Dickerson, Hammies, and then from here after this six, I think your next two, you can go a lot of different ways. I think Nate Sexton is a great pick all the way at number 12. Again, this is a team sport. Uh, a team competition, the situation. I think Nate would have great leadership for the team. Um, he's obviously a phenomenal player. Um, I think someone like a James Conrad could also be could fit in that role, or Kale uh, Laviska could fit in that role. Um, and then if you wanted to go, uh, you know, a little bit more on like the skill wise, uh, as someone that might you know be able to really dominate and overpower some courses, you can look at Drew Gibson fitting in that spot, a Kevin Jones. I mean, this is where I think it gets real, real interesting. And this is why I also think when they do the Ryder Cup, they have it to where they have it to where you can qualify points wise, right, throughout the season. And then the captain gets, I, I don't know, I think there was 12 players. So I think eight players qualify and then the captain hit gets four players. So mm. in this scenario it'd probably be six players qualify. That's and very I think that's similar to spots. how the President's Cup was. Okay. They they did like I forget how many people were on the team, but I believe the captain of the USA and Europe got to pick like two or three men and one of the women. Yeah. And the others were based on, I don't even know, points maybe? Maybe yeah. it was like points series leader. So it's I been a while. It's been a I don't while even think we it. need to even, I don't even think if we, we even need to talk about this. I honestly think, I'll just say it. I think if you took the American B team, I think that would actually be pretty competitive with Europe's top mm, players right now. That I might, disagree. That might that Here's might feather say. up some feathers, ruffle up some feathers, if Here's you will. What I say. You have to remember Simon is a is going to be on Team Europe. Okay. Uh, Vino McKella. Yeah. Um, Seppo Paiu. Uh, he's not even. He's not in the next name. He's two down. You've got Lori Lintonen. And Nicholas Antilles. See, Nicholas just won the Finnish championship. Mm -hmm. A lot of these players who are above Simon, probably in the world rankings, slapped Simon around when he went over there. Oh, Albert Here. Tom. Albert Tam is another one. Tam. Tom. I think if you get them on the right course, it's a lot more competitive than you might think because there's a lot of European players. That oh, are, it's eight and four. Okay, I was right. Yeah, a lot of European players are very young and absolute killers right now. We're talking like 20 or younger and... I are capable of being top 20 players in the MPO field 
Over I think here. if I think if the, it was in two years, yeah, I think it's a completely different story. Sure, I think if it was sure. right now, I think American almost has a chance. Okay, of so sweeping. let's just focus on. Obviously, we haven't seen enough Europe players to be able to name the top eight Europeans confidently. Mm-hmm. I think we would do it injustice to do, try to do that right now. Mm-hmm. I am excited. I think uh, there's a few Europeans that were able yep. to come over and qualify for USDGC. Pretty excited to watch them play. Fin- yeah. But let's just look at top eight USA. You're taking Team USA. Who is your eight? Uh, I would probably, lock them in. Yeah, I would probably go with who I was talking about earlier. Uh, the top six guys. Well, you got to six, and then when you got to seven and eight, you started you well, started rambling. So I think. Well, no, I was just saying there's a lot of options. Yeah, I, wanna, I saying, want you to lock in seven and eight. I want to say there's a lot of options. So I would probably go. I would probably go with my seventh pick. Uh, I'd probably go with. I, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Nate Sexton, Drew Gibson. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm not even going to look at world rankings. And I'm taking KJ as an alternate. I'm just, you told me no alternates. <laughs> I'm not looking at the world rankings. I'm going to just try to go off my head here. So I'm going Ricky, Paul, Calvin, Eagle. Yeah. Um, I think I would get Adam Hammers in there for sure. Yep. Uh, did I miss someone? Dickerson. You're not taking Dickerson. I put in Dickerson in there. I put Dickerson in there. I'm, oh I'm trying to think God. through my my iffy ones. He's not an iffy one. He's not an iffy one. He can play all different. Co- he can play every course. You got it. Dickerson's my six. He's in there. Yeah. Let's calm down. Do you want to give you going, some, you want to give you a couple names? No. No. Okay. All right. I am going Kevin Jones. Okay. Locking him in there because right. I think Kevin Jones in a match play situation is different than in a stroke play tournament situation. Didn't he get knocked out in the first round of match play? Let's not look at that match play tournament. Okay. There was a lot of weird stuff going on. But didn't he? Uh, probably. I think. <laughs> and I, I got to go. I picked him to go far. I think he got knocked out. I think uh, <laughs> it is tough. This is really tough. I think I'm going, I think I'm going to go with Kyle Klein. Oh, that's a good one. Because Kyle Klein, I think, is a similar player to Eagle that yeah. they're going to be able to play a lot of courses. And I also think he, he's he got some some clutch gene to him. I think the lowest world-ranked guy I would go is Nico, just because I think he would be an absolute animal in a... In a, in a in match a, play situation? Well, like in a USA versus Europe situation. What is James Conrad's world ranking right now? He is 15. 15. He dropped three spots. Okay. Yeah. Mason, Mason Ford went up 30 spots after yeah. winning. Dang, he was forty-one and went. Well, up he beat a 11. pretty pretty solid field, well, so his yeah. dominance index jumped a lot. Well, let's talk about the dominance index. All right. I don't understand the math behind it. No one does, or else do. I would. No, All people right. people do. Smart people do. I'm not one of those. So let's jump into the next topic. We got Paul and Paige. A lot of people are saying, "What the heck is going on?" And to answer the question bluntly, I don't think really anything's going on. I think. I, I think the easiest way to say it is the field is getting deeper and the people that are winning these tournaments are playing almost flawless disc golf where in the past you were able to potentially show up and not have your best stuff and still win. That is no longer the case. And, um, you know, watching Paul and watching Paige, I I don't see I mean obviously Paul is going a little bit through his putting his his putting stroke right now and that's changing but it's like on paper it's hard to really say they're like getting worse I just think I think it's at the point where you have to play so good 
so good to win these tournaments, and it's only going to get harder. Well, I think it's a mixture. So I I agree with you more so on the Page side than the Paul side, just because I think that in the past page on the FPO side, it's almost where I always look at FPO is it's basically competition and stuff wise at the highest level is almost like where MPO was eight to 10 years ago, competition wise. Cause if you, you know, rewind back, it's basically Paul and Rick mm-hmm. battling it out. And then the field starts to get deeper. And then well, FPO is going to get FPO, even crazier because the, the amount of people that are bouncing around FPO right now is nuts, but it's only like eight, eight people. Mm hmm where pretty soon it's going to be like 16. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying is last year, year before, year before, year before, it's it's Paige and Cat. You mm-hmm. had uh, Valerie Jenkins sneaking in there, Sarah Holcomb sneaking in there. You had some players For specific in courses. There. For yes. specific courses, yeah. But week in, week out, Paige, Cat, Paige, Cat. Yeah. Uh, this week, this year, you, you start having Kona sneak in there, Missy Gannon sneak in there. Haley. Katrina Allen and Paige are in there. Kristen Tatar Haley King's in there. Over. Kristen Tatar, yeah. Sarah Holcomb. So I think I agree with you more so on the FPO side of like Paige. But if you're watching Paige, you're not thinking like, oh my God, she's gotten so bad. No, some some tournaments she'll play worse than normal, but there have been tournaments where she's played very well and what used to be good enough to win and has still lost. I think there's Paul's also... Paul's side, I, I well, hold on, to somewhat fin- disagree. Okay, to, to, to kind of real quick add on to the Paige thing, there is a huge, huge difference between... Uh, playing in a tournament and and not having your best stuff or not playing that great and still winning, like still being in the lead by a couple shots where I think when we have seen Paige uh, quote unquote not play well, a lot of that is because she's down after the first round four or five and she knows she has to try to get those strokes back. So she's going for more shots than she normally would probably playing a little bit more aggressive. And uh, when you're not on now, you all of a sudden you're, you know, it's the whole mindset of like you go into a hole and you're playing it for par, you're probably not going to take a seven. Yeah. But if you go into a hole and you're trying to birdie it, you have the potential of blowing up if you throw your first shot OB or whatever. So I think we're seeing a lot of that with Paige of where uh, in years past, potentially, she just was kind of co- not coasting, but she had the lead and never gave it up where we've seen multiple tournaments this year where she's down four or five after the first round. And you have to play probably differently. Um to, to make up that ground. Yeah. And, and a little bit same with Paul the on the Paul, Paul side though. I will say this year he has been like, if you watch him play, he has been playing worse than he has in years past. If you watch him play when he's been on um, there now, there is certain, isn't he leading? Isn't he leading the, the lead, uh, the tour in, uh, strokes gained off the, off the tee. Maybe, but I his think. best, his biggest thing has always been putting. And his putt's been struggling year round. That's why we even this recently where, saw him change it. This is where I think which I haven't I haven't seen Paul change his putt in like this six is years. Where I think stats come in huge because now we can kind of just see a little bit of yeah. So fairway hits, he's second right now. Circle two putts, he's fourth. And I think this is the stat you're talking about. Circle one X, he's thirty second. Yeah, that Paul so, has historically been first or second. Yeah, maybe third. And we've seen him just not feel comfortable. But so like to all me, these stats are real. I mean, literally, he's he's he's, he's throwing the disc good and everything. But you, you circle, have to remember, circle one in regulation, second. He's season second. wise, he's having a good season. Yeah, he's just not having a good season for Paul. You have to put that in perspective. And I think the whole reason is the circle one X putting, which he has addressed and talked mm-hmm. about multiple times. But all, all I'm saying is, 
you you can't look at Paul's season this year and say he's playing as good as he previously has. Well, I mean, and I think I, that I bet, plays into. I don't. I, don't I agree the, with you that he could play out of his mind this season, and he I, I wouldn't dominate like he had in the I past. But I don't have. The, we don't have the stats in front of us to show. You're looking at it right there. No, no, 36, no, no. 36 no. place. Circle one X. No, no, case no, no. closed. Well, hold on, hold on. What I'm saying is we don't have the stats in front of us to go back and look at. We because can again, surely though, look at last year. But, but again, though, the, the 32nd, for example, could be inflated, right? Because there's more people touring now than maybe five years ago. What's his, what's his percentage? 83. Yeah, that's awful. He was Most tournaments, a bad tournament for Paul in years past was like 87 to 90. There was many tournaments where he finished 100% C1X. He was the, he, him and Ricky basically co-held the title as greatest putter in the world. Yeah. This year, you can't argue that right now. Yeah, it well, was always an argument. So he's just not playing as good. Not now, put, not putting. He's not, not putting, putting as, good. as good. But you can obviously the field strength factors into it a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But with Paul, I think you can't as much argue that like it's a hundred percent field strength and not him playing up to his skill and still losing. I think if he plays up to his skill, he's mm-hmm. not dominating like he has in the past. Um, but he would be able to have like a Ricky or Eagle type season. a little bit more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where three or four elite series win type season, which I think is equivalent to what he used to be doing, which was, you know, seven, eight, however many there was. The thing is though, is like, you're going to have slumps. Like in yeah. every sport, players go through slumps and, you know, Paul, obviously, like you said, his putting isn't where it is. He's going through a little bit of a slump this year. He's still performing well. He's still having good finishes. Um, but I think when you are in that that separate category from everyone else where everyone's expecting you to win, every tournament you enter, and I think Paul and Paige both have that, when you are in a slump, people are like, what's wrong? Like yeah. there has to be something wrong. Well, I and think that's a different you issue. You can't just, you know, you can't just say like, I, it's, it's just, ha- I'm going through the motions. Like there has to be a reason. Like, uh, are they not practicing enough? Uh, do they not eat enough good food? Are they not working out? Paul are right now not, just looks uncomfortable. Are they, not, are they not focused? Are they, you know, there's all this stuff and it's, I, it, at the end of the day, man, it's just like, sometimes you're just not going to play good disc golf. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think right now, like I said, I've been, I, when Paul came to New London, he was putting, he was coming down with his putter flat, like just straight down flat. I've never seen Paul do that ever at music city. It was on Annie Annie, and coming down even weirder for me to see. It's clear that he is mentally struggling with stuff on the green because he's doing it enough to change it up, which Mm -hmm. Paul in the past has been so common. He's never changing it. It's, he goes down on Heiser, up on Heiser, pop it to flat. I think this offseason we'll see him get who knows how many putts and probably try to get that putting confidence back mm-hmm. for the next season. And I would imagine we're going to see Heiser putter down Paul back because he he's looking like incredible. Nate Doss right now. He, he, putted, he putted like incredible, though, at Worlds. Well, see, that's his, the other thing. His is Worlds, Worlds really well. Worlds for Paul is still... I w- if, if there's a day in the next few years where we see Paul outside the top five at worlds, my jaw will be on the floor because well, let's talk about it. That, that was my next thing I wanted to get into is who do you have? You know, they both have five world championships who has the higher likelihood of getting that six one first page and, Simply because and of, will it ever happen? Yes. So, okay. I think both of them will get at least six. Okay. So they, but you, you I think, think each one will win. Percentage I, I'll, I'll wise, say I don't think 
both will get six. I'm not going to say who because I don't know, but I'll take I'll take the other side and say I think one of them will get it and the other one won't. Well, I'm going to say percentage-wise, it'll be easier for Paige to win than Paul to win mm-hmm. just because of the field the size. Of people she has to yeah, beat. That's simply, mm-hmm. simply just field size. Players are going to keep getting better, and you know, you're going to have Kristen, Evelina, Henna, all that. It's not going to like it's an easy walk in the park, but just percentage-wise, she Paul's got to beat she, twice as many people in the field. Probably more than twice. Maybe twice as... Yeah, maybe I mean, maybe Conrad, Conrad won Worlds, and he's the 15th ranked person in the world. Yeah, but I'm just saying... So... I think Worlds for both of them, it's hard to imagine a world where they're not in contention at that tournament because of how much it means to them, and they both they both base their whole season almost on Worlds. Mm-hmm. Like, before it's prepping, they're thinking about Worlds, season starts they're thinking about worlds thinking about worlds thinking about worlds get to worlds and it's basically like they put the weight of the world on their shoulders because everyone's expecting them to live up to that one of these times they could crumble what happens the year after they crumble who knows we haven't seen it yet they they both have been second i mean paul's yeah, been in second or first in, for 10 years yeah uh, it's gonna be easy man it's gonna be easy uh, not easy it's gonna be interesting to kind of see what happens yeah i think i'm excited for uh that. i definitely think uh someone also brought up a good point uh, Emporia is next year. Personally, I think that leans towards Paige's favor. Um, Distance, yep. Uh, a little bit more so than it leads to Paul's favor as far as like the one of them do... getting six over the other, but they've both won in Emporia multiple times. How did, so, how did she do at uh, DDO this year? Do you know? I mean, off the top of my head, I do not know. I'll pull it up real quick. Um, all right. The next thing I want to dive into a little bit is I want to talk about... Uh, kind of a little bit of what's going on right now um, with the national tour situation. Well, not really a national tour situation, but um, I mean, I guess it is the whole debacle a little bit with if you if you guys watched Paige's uh, Instagram story, her and Holly looked like mid round. Uh, basically, we're talking about how one of their baskets wasn't like they were on the hole and the basket wasn't where they were supposed to be played. I know, I believe we had mentioned this. You guys had mentioned this in grip locked of where they put, or we might have mentioned it last week on the podcast. I'm not sure where it was of where there was like temporary baskets out like, like these, like, uh, you know, the smaller ones with like the soft, soft baskets and stuff. I don't, yeah, there's temporary baskets, like little pop-up. I think yeah, it was a, a scout, yeah, which little, is just like a little pop-up baskets. Basket. Yeah. Those are actually in, they were there for them to practice because they didn't actually have normal baskets. And you confirmed it on the Joe mess coverage. Yes. So we had pictures sent to us of like you were saying, the marksman, the scout. We didn't have confirmation when we shot the podcast last week. Shortly after that, Haley King posted on her story confirming that the baskets were basically temporary practice baskets. And then further confirmation for the rest of history is like, if you go to Joe mess flyover hole four round one or round three at whatever the second course was Cedar Hill, I believe. you can see where the FPO basket is and it's, a, it's just a it. temp the, yeah. the scout basket the temp basket so I don't want to go I know you guys are going to dive into that a little bit I don't really want to I don't really want to talk about too much about like national tour bashing and PDGA bashing because obviously they're not even dealing with it anymore right but it brings up a good point because the tournament director I believe came out and said based on, uh, on the Paige Pierce Instagram said listen the MPO field, the MPO card was putting when they were like, you could see them finishing putting. So there's no way they could remove the basket and put it in place because the MPO was still playing the hole. So yeah, it kind of turned into like a, he said, she said situation 
where like Paige's point that she made mm-hmm. was a pretty solid, you know, reason to be upset. Like, hey, we're ready to throw our upshots. But she left out the point that. But then it's it's who do you believe? I I couldn't I didn't watch the story close enough. Well, I, I saw that point after. Yeah. But if if the MPO is still putting on the hole and it's like a guy standing there waiting to move the basket, sure. Secondary well, point would be: Should you have to move the basket to the national tour level? So that so that is what a lot of people on Twitter brought up to me is they said, "Hey, when when or why should there be two different tours essentially? Mm. Right? Like when is there going to split it up and there's going to be the disc golf pro tour and then the I mean, I guess the LPGA, right? Is that the Ladies Professional Golf Association? I'd imagine what it stands for. I, I'm assuming, or the, so the L- w, LDGPT, the, or the WNBA Women's National. You know, so when is the LDGPT or the WDGPT? So we're not happen? there yet. I see. I don't think we are going to disagree on this because I have listened to so many pros' points, and I've listened to a lot of yours too that we've talked about this. I think. Like this has to happen for the sport to grow. The idea that having two different tours together, um, I mean, I'm not, we're on the same page on like the broadcasting. Tons of people are starting to talk about like, you know, a lot, there's more people watching MPO right now. So you hear more of it from that. But I'm sure there's also people that want to tune in and watch FPO. Well, like Haley King, seven down through eight, start final round. We didn't see any of it because, because there was a battle going on in MPO. Yeah, because MPO, there was a battle between first and second, so they were prioritizing the MPO coverage over Haley King's start. So if I'm a huge Haley King which fan... Which it's, it's a nightmare, I'm sure it is, the switcher, because like the Haley King shredding, but you also have a battle between, for first and MPO, so what do you do? What do you show? They got to be split, split streams. Yeah, so you know, I think that probably is the first step, is just having it to where they're playing different courses when when feasible and then having the women go off potentially in the morning probably would be the best idea because uh, I think there's just a lot more situations that can go bad with, uh, you know, if weather happens or anything like that, they're just, they just don't even play. Um, Whereas if they go in the morning, they can maybe still get the round in. So I think that's probably the first start, but I just don't see a world where, you know, down the road when the money's there, because one of the big issues right now is there are a lot of couples that tour together. There are mm-hmm. a lot of men and women that are in the same vehicle, same touring situation, going from city to city. And if you told them, listen, you have to do this by yourself, there would be a lot of people that couldn't tour and that would not be good. Yeah. Well, the other thing is I don't think an F I don't think FPO field wise is at a point that it could sustain itself on known tour right no, now. It couldn't. Cause I mean, it realistically, would, yeah. You, we, we would like to see the FPO field size almost triple average field size. The tough part is we're not at a tough part yet. The tough part's going to be when like right now we can fit a full MPO field and a full FPO field on one course if need be, such as Idlewild and stuff like, like that. that. I don't like it either, but it, it can't be done. Tough not part well. is... Not well. The backups are terrible. That's Do we want to get into backups real quick? Well, I was going to finish. My point okay. was basically what the tough part's going to be is when you have 140 FPO field and 140 MPO field yeah. to where, let's say you do different courses and you split the stream, right? There's going to be a point where we're not, the pro, pro tour coverage wise can do split streams. We've proven that, right? But they can do split streams like you're saying where FPO is off in the morning, MPO is off in the afternoon. They're using the same crew. 
Mm-hmm. What's going to be tough is there's going to be a point when FPO field sizes get so large that the FPO lead card and MPO lead card are going off almost at the same time. Mm. And if they're at the same tournament at that point, which they probably still should be just uh, structure-wise because it should run that way for a few years, I think, until it's ready now to split. Now you have two streams competing against Now you have two streams competing against... And not only two streams, and you, you also have cameras. spectators competing against each other and you need two full crews, which then, like, what's the, what's the solution there? I think that's going to be a logistical problem that luckily I'm not the one paid to solve, but I think that's going to be a logistical problem that they're going to run into once the FPO field gets to that 130, 140, 100 some, however many players Mm -hmm. to where we've got to figure out they got to be on separate courses. But now if they're on separate courses, it's almost like they're going to be competing within the same event when you don't want that to happen because that's just going to realistically, that's going to end up hurting FPO right now. Whereas if how it is right now, you can send them off in the morning, have the spectators, the crew fully dedicated to FPO, lunch break, fully dedicated to MPO, best of both worlds. Once the FPO field size grows, I think that's when there's going to start to be a little bit of tension within the Pro Tour, Mm -hmm. and that will eventually lead to a healthy split which will form the LDGPT and the DGPT. I like the LDGP, uh, LDGPT. Uh, that sounds good. I, I, and this is maybe a question for those listening too, and I would love to hear uh, whether you're on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening. Let us know by either tweeting us or maybe posting in the comments. What other sports are able to do men's and women's at the same event effectively? The two that pop off my head right now that I can think of are tennis and the UFC, mixed mixed martial arts. Um, Both of those can kind of go back and forth, and I think they do it very well. The biggest, uh, some people are already saying swimming, which, yeah, that's another one. Uh, Track and field, yeah. So there are are others that do it. Well, the tough part with those is they're... They're quick. They're quick, and they're also well, like not not sorry. UFC and um, swimming and track and field. Well, UFC and tennis aren't quick, but they they have the matches spaced out to where like the big matches, right? Like if if the number one player was playing someone, they're not going to be on top of the number one men's player playing someone. Yeah, they have them spaced out. Well, UFC, for example, you're also only covering like a card might have what five or six fights. Uh, the main card has, yeah, so I mean, a big UFC 266 just happened. The main card had five fights. The uh, prelims had five or six, and then the early prelims had five or six. So that's so what, like 15, 15 fights? So that's fights, 30, 30 people. 30 people. Mm-hmm. That's a lot different structure than no, I know. 200 players. No, I know. It's, it's completely different. And the same thing I'm, with tennis. You have two people playing at a time. Yeah, a tournament. A big tournament's going to have like 100 people potentially for both. Yeah. Um, so the structure, I think, is just a unique situation. It, uh, but the issue, I think the issue is back to what, you know, I was making the point of before is like, eventually there's going to have to be a split. Yes. Eventually. The tough part is going to be the growing pain. Right now, I don't think we're, fe- we're feeling growing pains yet. Um, there's some situations, but like, for instance, at the Music City Open, that's an avoidable situation. Just either always have FPO baskets in or have them play the same as MPO mm-hmm. and change the tees. There's a lot of things that could be done so the basket doesn't have to be moved. Regardless, um, there's going to be growing pains once the FPO field size gets bigger and bigger or even the spectators and parking and all of this stuff starts to become more and more of an issue on the tour. Yeah, it's gonna be so hard to run two be, events at the same time. Yeah, that's there's going to be stuff that's going to crawl, cause tension and the important part is waiting until the right moment to split so that both can be fully sustainable yes. and both can live on and you don't have the split happen 
and then you're like, oh crap, what do we do? And either have to like bring it back and merge them back together or figure something out. You want to make sure that the split happens when they're both ready to split. Yeah. Which that's probably Who knows? five to 10 years from now, I would say. Who knows? All right. Last topic we got here before we can uh, open up the lines for your guys' calls, which again, if you guys are wanting to kind of prep what you want to ask, it's not even ask. It's more, we're not really doing a Q and a. So it's like, if you disagree with us on something that we've talked about tonight, that we've talked about in the past or that I've posted on Twitter, uh, except for live versus post. We're not doing that tonight. Uh, please call in. Uh, we always love uh, taking your calls. But we're, last topic I got is the uh, the Jordan Castro tweet. Mm. Mr. Jordan Castro uh, tweeted out a photo, two photos actually, that I, I want to get into both real quick. Nice. Um, whole nine. Actually, both on whole nine. It looks like uh, they decided to take those mozzarella sticks and put them 15, 20 feet in front of the tee box. And so the photo was beautifully done, I must say. <laughs> it, was, it was beautifully taken to where it really made you be like, what the heck is this? And so, uh, you know, that, that, that gives or that moves us to the point of like artificial obstacles because mm-hmm. you know, we're not even talking about artificial OB in this situation. No. We're talking about simply bringing something in similar to what you maybe would see at a miniature golf course um, would probably be the best example. I mean, that's a bit, that's a bit too. No, hard. I know. I did see someone say like, what's next? A windmill, which would be absolutely yeah. incredible. Here's what I'll say. To see the, a windmill just going in front of a basket. I'll oh. put it this way. The idea of the poles in front of the tee didn't upset me as much as how close they were together. If that makes sense. So you would have you would have been okay if uh, they if were... I'm basically was, saying the that... The gaps are, what, five feet? If these were trees, natural, fully you natural... You would have a shot. I'd be ticked, still. Well, I'd you, still be upset. Well, I'd say this is shot. awful course design. You wouldn't have a shot. There would be no gap. That's if, what I'm saying. If there were trees. Well, I'm saying tall, skinny oh, trees. Like if, where, these okay. just, if these just had branches on top, they were natural yeah. trees. I would still say the course designer needs to cut two down, right? Mm. So the... So what's a... So here's a question. What's a fair gap? Because I think this is something right now that disc golf, especially with the disc golf pro tour taking over, this is something that needs to be discussed about what's... What is fair, right? Like what are fair gaps? What are like... Uh, how how far wide does a fairway need to be for there to be OB on both sides? Because, you know, I think in certain situations, if you look at hole uh, number one, I believe at Cedar Hill, which they just, uh, where Mason Ford ended up taking the playoff over Ricky, which was, uh, we don't have to talk about that putt. Well, I have but a conspiracy theory for that, but I'll, I'll go that, into that on Griplock. Leave that for Griplock. I'll go into that on Griplock. We don't have time for it here, even though I do love conspiracy <laughs> theories. I'll, I'll, I'll join you on uh, the bogey banner There you go. Uh, for the conspiracy theory. But um, I think that needs to be something. I think there needs to be like, hey, if you have uh, you know a gap, because they do this for drop zones already. They have like, if you want to make an island, your drop zone can be only 50 feet away from an inbounds part of the island, right? So if you want have, to be sanctioned, yeah. If you want to be sanctioned. So they have certain things like this in place. They don't have anything of like, hey, there needs to be this wide of a gap 40 or 50 feet off the tee box. They, there's nothing but I don't like that much regulation. I think that it basically... Why not? Why can't you just say, hey, if you want to... That's put, not always going to be a good idea. Put, if you want to put a gap in front if you want to put a gap that you have to hit uh it needs to be at least 10 feet wide 
Well, these might be 10 feet because it looked like they were no. staggered. It looks like these are staggered. I guarantee you I could touch post to post. No, they're staggered. I could I could touch post to post. They were staggered for sure. I know they're staggered, but I can still touch no, post to post. No, because a staggered, in disc golf, a staggered line could be, they could be 20 feet apart, but the, the actual gap you have to hit is only five feet because they're staggered. You see what I'm saying? Well, okay. First off, the part we're talking about is the actual like gap. So like, yeah. Yeah, but how you, are you measuring that? I think you got to measure poles are 20 feet apart. No, but I think you got to measure it. I, I, I see where you're going. I'm just saying and that's why you can't regulate it. At I the PDTA. see where you're going. You give me 50 feet. I can yeah. put them like this and then you're yeah. never making it through. Yeah, I see. Where you're, I mean, that's like whole eight at New London a little bit, but I, I see where you're going. And that makes a lot of sense. I, I still think there needs to be a little bit more regulation of like, no, I, I don't like regulating course design, but you're going to end up having stuff like this. You do you like, wait, do you like the posts or don't like the posts? Are you a if post the, guy or not a post guy? If the posts were not so close together. You're about it. I don't know if I'm about it, but for some reason I wouldn't mind it by the T as much as I mind it. The actual mozzarella sticks that are by the green. Those tick me off more than by the, by the T. If that makes sense. There's still, I don't like the artificial being put there, but if it was like, if it was like a, Spruce I don't know. Tree. I don't know if it was something, a bush. if it was something where a fiddle f- a fig tree, if it was just three of them, if it was just three of them in front of the T, right? And the other two behind it are gone. Okay. And so you have like a 20 foot gap and it's just adding a little something to make you think. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't like the optics of it, but I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't even tweet about it. I'd probably be like, oh, okay. But once you make it where it's like your best bet might be just going up and over or like a spike Kaiser layup. Mm-hmm. Cause like, why are you trying to throw through this? I don't think I'm going to try to like throw it. that. I don't think I don't I'm like to try to throw that. But, but I'm just I, saying, I don't like the idea of the PDGA, it would have to be the PGA, regulating course design, like what you're pitching, because well, it's not so much it limits <laughs> you, it ties your hands to where you can't, yeah, you but can't do things that might be great for the course you're trying to design, but, I think there's but because of the technical things, aspects, you can't. There's certain things, like there's, there should be something in place that says you can't have OB this close in to the golf, basket. In golf, is there a rule you of you have, can't have you a can't sand have, trap within 100 feet of your tee or five feet of your green? Or something? Um, I mean, there are... Of course are, not. There, well, time out. The better question is, is there is there a regulation on where you can put a hole on the green? And yes, there is. I think That's you, not even... But we were talking about where you can put a basket on the green. No, no, no. But I'm saying there are regulations of like, you can't have a pin. Or sorry, you can't... There are two, there's two regulations that I know of. You can't have a, um, a cup, pin, whatever you want to call it, uh, more than or closer than three uh, paces off of the fringe. Uh, and then the other thing too is I also think you can't have the pin on a gradient greater than something. So for example, if you, but have, those like, make if you have like a shelf, gra- yeah. like a two-tier green, but like imagine them saying, on, you can't have it on the actual hill. Imagine them saying you can't have a hill more than 50 feet elevation directly in front of the tee or something. When it's like, well, but for this hole, that might be like the best bet. No, no I I agree with you here. I agree with you in the sense that... It was your that, idea. You brought no, up no, the, hear the me out. No, thing. hear me out. I agree with you that like, there should... I'm not saying the regulation needs to be insane, but I'm saying like, you know, what if what if someone puts like... Uh, what if someone puts like 50 tires swings in front of you? Then the PDJ should have screened now, that person as a... 
People, I, people in the comments were saying that, that was actually a great example because that the, happened at Worlds oh. <laughs> Augusta. I had to play the course pre Worlds. Yeah, and you know, tire? No, they they put out. It, we played it for freaking. Oh no, on the ground. Yeah, people have said they wanted to see that. That was awful. I played it. I can. Who people, said that? Send them to me. Give them people, my number. I will tell them how awful it me was. That said, we need to have tires on the ground. Was it the guy who designed the course I played? <laughs> I don't, We're no, playing collegiate it had nationals. Likes. It had likes. People liked it. That's a horrible decision. People liked it. Because I played collegiate nationals People on the course that was supposed to be. High knees through tires. Yeah, it was supposed to be where 2018 oh Worlds was. Or no, 20, 2017, Give me Georgia. Quicksand. Georgia Worlds, where Georgia Worlds was supposed to be. We played, it was called the Mean 13 is what we played for our finals for to win. <laughs> this is for collegiate nationals finals. It's an AM major and gets hyped up this is the course that's gonna you know is four worlds yeah. right we get to this par four 450 feet down the fairway perfect landing spot there's just tires in the fairway <laughs> and so we asked the courses are i'm like what on earth are you what are you doing like why are they here and he goes well i i pictured this is exactly where paul would land at worlds and i wanted him to like have to think more about it and first off, he didn't know how far Paul could throw because that's where we were landing. So Paul would have been nowhere near it. So it ends up just like edit and major. We did it. But the PDGA props to them pulled the course from the guy once they saw it. I'm like, we can't put worlds here and then put it somewhere else. Yeah, that is what the PDGA should do is more so walk out and be like, this can't happen here. Pull it, put it somewhere else. Yeah, but if I'm if I'm a course designer, OK, and I want my course to hold a prestigious event, it wouldn't be the worst idea for me to have a little bit of a uh, blueprint of do's and don'ts, right? Yes, like no. a little bit of like like not too much, just but a little it, bit, just a little, just a little bit. Maybe maybe more so, just like a just a, a little bit. Maybe there should be like a class that certifies course directors. Hate that, or not course directors, course designers. Hate that. Here's here's a video. Uh, Hate that idea from Jordan Castro of the polls, so you can see how staggered they are. I'm touching those. I'm I'm What is your wingspan? Uh you're not touching those. <laughs> those I'm not touching. You're not touching those, those I think the ones in the middle you're I am. Not touching those. I bet you sheets. I can touch them. Just straight out? Yeah. Deal. Okay. All right. We will post the will photo post that. on Instagram story. Jordan Castro is saying seven plus feet. You don't have I'd say that's seven feet max. Maybe it'll be close. Oh man, if I if it's fingertip, fingertip, I'm counting. If you if they're both touching at the same yes, time, deal. I'm counting. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Even if it's just the leaves that are hanging around the wrapping. Can I have it. Connor and uh, Trevor pull my arm? No. To get a little no, bit extra. No, stretch. no, no. Also, I'm, that makes it farther back. If I'm you go have, behind. No, no, like pull them out. Like yeah, just, no. They'll like, dislocate your shoulder before USDGC. It's an uh, awful idea. I'm gonna have to do some shoulder or whatever back stretches or something like that to really get loosened up here. All right, I think this is good. I think uh, I think we'll go into some calls here. We'll, yeah, we'll get good. we'll throw the number up there, or is it already up there? Who I'll knows? throw it up right now. He's gonna throw it up there. Call in and and remit. Okay, before you call in, sorry, because we have the numbers more already up. That's fine. We have more people listening right now than we did at the beginning. Um, we are doing the Julius Caesar effect. Okay, uh, there were some calls that you know people in the chat they weren't too fond of last podcast. So what we're gonna do is if you do call in. And I get the chat not feeling the vibe. Uh, I will Julius Caesar you. And uh, if I get the thumbs down, we're just ending the call. So we got a call coming in right now. Uh, let's see who we got. Allow. New. We're doing this on a new computer, so hopefully this works. Hello, hello. Can you hear us? 
Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Who are we speaking with and where are you from right All now? Right. I, I got to mute you guys on YouTube because I'm getting some echo. One yeah, second. that's a great idea. Okay, Mike from South Dakota. Oh, South, this is our first South Dakota call. All right, Mike, what's going on, man? All what right. do you want to talk about? So I, want, I have to ask a question because I want an unbiased answer. Hunter, okay. um, you guys have mentioned before what you guys think a scratch disc golfer is rating-wise. What would you say that is? It's Ooh. supposed to be a thousand rated. I think now I would call it ten ten to ten fifteen rated. That's gonna help me even more. All right. Okay. <laughs> so my debate topic is it is harder to reach a thousand rated in disc golf than to be a scratch golfer. No. And I'll I'll tell you why. So there are le- le- there are depending on where you look. Do you have anything to say about three- this, Hunter? Are you out? Wait, I've never, I'm not close. I've never been even close to being good so are you out? at golf. Okay, you're So out. I'm out. Okay. I'm out of the conversation here. Okay. okay. First off, can so, I ask you, Mike, are you a thousand rated in disc golf? I'm neither and either. So I'm like neither and either. That's nine, a shirt, baby. All right, go ahead. I'm uh, I'm 900 in disc golf and okay. I'm about an eight handicap in golf. Okay. So, okay. So. Um, there are, depending on where you look, anywhere from 1.5 to 2% of golfers that are scratch golfers or better. Okay. If you take into account pro golfers, it gets to about to the two and a half to 3%. Okay. Seems there are point there are 0.3% of disc golfers of active disc golfers that are a thousand or higher way smaller field, but continue. Yeah. Way smaller field. Correct. So the other thing to keep taking into account is. There is about now. Granted, it's a small amount, but there's 0.8 percent of female golfers that are scratch or better. And as you guys know, there's no one females that are a thousand or better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have a couple other things, but I want to hear what you say first. Uh, okay, so I I did get to a thousand rated uh, in just over a year, I believe. It would have probably been under a year had I played in that last tournament that I ended up not playing in. Um, and I got to a plus like 2.7 or a plus 3.2, I think in golf in just over mm-hmm. a year and a half or two years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've seen firsthand how much, uh, you know, how much time and effort it takes to get to both of those. And it's just not, it's just not even close. Golf is golf is, uh, such a drastically, I mean, there are some people that literally no matter what you can do, they will be absolutely mm-hmm. garbage at golf. And mm-hmm. I know people that currently right now aren't good at disc golf, but if I taught them a few things and told them what tournaments to play, they could, their rating could be way higher. So there are people that, that. Are, there are people that are a thousand rated right now that if you put them on a course that doesn't suit their game, they're, I mean, look at New London. Go to, go to the Battle for Bedford right now. Sort by rating and look at how many people are over 1,000 and did, did not do well at that, that course because that course is super difficult and it requires a very, very high-level skill set. And so that's where just like in golf, there, it's, you can't hide a handicap in golf. Like, Well, I don't know if I agree with that completely because – there, like for example, there's I have courses and like I for example in golf I my driver is terrible. Mm-hmm. So if I play on a course that's you know sixty three like sixty two hundred sixty three hundred feet, 
that are short par fours and, you know, not super long par fives. And I don't have to bring driver out. Like I'm shooting two, three over par. But then if I go to a course that's like 7,000 7, feet or yards, I'm, I meant yards, um, where I do have to bring driver out, I'm lucky to break 80. So I think that happens in golf too. Um, the thing that I disagree with what you're saying, and maybe it's just like a different, maybe it's just like a terminology, but I, like in terms of skill, like, you know, minute skill or like ability, like the g- golf probably might be more difficult. But what I would say is I think someone less athletic and like less skillful can get a higher lo- like ath- athleticism can get a higher level in golf than in disc golf. I think there's limitations athletically that will never let someone get to the top level in golf. Whereas I'm going to give you somebody and I want you to like Donald Trump is a two or three handicap in golf. No. Okay. He has a gin, he has a gin handicap. He has, he is a 2.5. He regularly shoots under 70. He is a 2.5 handicap in golf. And if you don't want to use him, that's fine. But think of like, you know, there's people who can he's shoot the, 70. He's the president of the United States. Old. I'm not buying that at all. <laughs> I've watched his swing. He's not a two handicap. Well, then he must be cheating. But yes, a different conversation. yes, he okay. is. So I think a lot so of people would agree it. with me. <laughs> <laughs> let's switch it. Let's go this. There are people who are 70. You know, it's, it's always like a I'm cheating. getting a lot of thumbs down here. We might have to Julius Caesar, our first caller. <laughs> if if someone's 70 and they can shoot 70 in golf, which would be about scratch, do you think a 70-year-old could be a thousand could shoot a thousand rated round? Yes, at certain courses, yes. I think I think we're just gonna have to agree to disagree on this one. I like the topic. I love it. I could talk about this all day with you, Mike. I, I, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that don't like golf that are listening to this podcast. And so whenever I go on my <laughs> rampages with golf, they just hate it. So I didn't Julius Caesar you, okay? I didn't. There was a lot of people wanting me to, but I didn't, Mike. But we appreciate you calling in, brother. Have a great night. You bet. Have a good one. I will say this. It was close. I will say this in it relation to golf. When he first said that, he was like, well, we're, uh, golf might not be harder than disc golf. I was like, oh, boy. I will say this in relation to Jeez. golfers' disc golf question is I do think I can like fathom. And it's probably because I've played disc golf a heck of a lot more. I can fathom getting to 1,000 rated way more than I can 1,000 fathom getting to scratch at golf. There are people that can't hit a golf ball. Like they just can't. Well, there's can't. people who can't throw a disc straight. They just can't. No. I think, for instance, John Daly. I literally just, John Daly, I literally just probably, played with Kelsey's mom. And after five seconds of telling her, hey, do this, she was throwing a Buzz SS 100 feet down the fairway. If I did that with golf, are you kidding me? Have you been to Top Golf? It's dangerous. Would you to say, go, it's dangerous to go to Top Golf. Would you say now. John Daly would think that disc golf's easier than golf? Yes. Hmm. Disc, golf, disc golf is way easier than golf. It's not even a question. Hello, hello. Who we got here? Mike from Oklahoma. How's it going, fellas? Mike, what's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, Here's the question I've got for y'all about making the pro tour more difficult. So, and, and, and again, this is kind of a wild idea, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. In disc golf, every shot, nearly, unless you're talking about an upshot or a putt, you're having a run up. What if at the pro tour level only, there were only run ups? For the tee shot, everything beyond that was standstill. What's your thoughts? You want you want to hit it first? Well, yeah, I think we've we've talked about this uh, at least on Grip Locked once or twice, and I don't mind the idea. I think it's a tough one to actually 
get to like be taken all the way through. I think the next step would almost be creating like hazard areas mm. um, where if you land in that area, you can't run up. Question is, would it be taken as like a good move for the sport or would it be taken as like a gimmicky look? It's yeah, that I think that's the big question is obviously right away you would be we're always looking at ways of um, giving the advantage to the good shots and penalizing the bad shots. I think it's clear if you can throw it in the fairway, you get to run up. And if you can't, don't throw in the fairway, you can't run up. That clearly would give it a huge advantage for a good shot. Um, however, would it look weird? Would people start questioning, like, why is this guy not running up? Why is this guy running up? Uh, I, think, I think there's a lot of different things that go into it. I think that would be a phenomenal kind of test run, like have, do it at an exhibition, mm-hmm. do it at some sort of like tournament that doesn't really matter. Um, just a fun tournament and kind of see what the pros think, see what the fans think from watching it and then go from there. But I love the idea. I've thought of it before uh, and, and definitely have talked to a, uh, a number of pros about it as well. So, uh, yeah. Hopefully. Do you think injuries would factor into that decision or do you think if that was to be implemented even in a trial run, we would see potentially more injuries? I think there would be less injuries. Standstill? Are you saying- it would depend on player's form. Yeah. Some players might have to exert themselves more in a standstill than a run-up. Oh, interesting. Didn't think about that, but yeah. One final point, and this is my final question of the night. I appreciate y'all taking my call. Yeah. Is, do you think that at the pro tour level only, there should be a maximum uh, a flight number disc that pros have to play with? So, for example, say that the nine speed, mm. everybody across the board, nine speed only at the pro tour level only. So, so, I'm not sure if that's ever been discussed, but that's just my final question for y'all. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely have heard that topic brought up. Also, the topic of like there should be a bag limit, right? The number of discs that you should be able to carry as well. The the issue I have with the flight numbers is there is no, there's um, no standard. There's no yeah, there's no standard. So flight numbers are pretty much just made up from. I can just stamp. Each, I can stamp a nuke with an eight speed and call it a day. Yeah, so that that's the problem with it. Until they have some sort of standard standardized way of making sure all the numbers um, are legit, that won't work. But uh, I'm not I'm not opposed to a bag. I think a bag limit wouldn't be the worst idea. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be like 10. No, but like 20 20 or or something. something. Yeah, you know, so. Yeah. All right. Well, appreciate you calling in. Yeah, have a wonderful night. The standstill is, that has been a topic that has been brought up before. I've seen it. I've seen it on the Twitters. I've seen it on the Grams. Yeah, I don't mind the topic, but again, it's, it's a hard line. Yeah, it's just tricky to see how it actually would play out. Hello, hello. Who we got here? Hi, this is Danny from Columbus. Hey, go Buckeyes. <laughs> go Bucks. Dude, we got a lot uh, of Buckeye fans. I love it. How's it going, man? It's going well. Um, so two topics. I'll let you choose which one. So those mozzarella sticks could be a good fairway bunker, what you guys were talking about as far Ooh. as uh, the hazard. Ooh, yeah. Or... A disc golf simulator is within two years of production. Oh, we get to pick which one we're going to say? Yep. 
Okay, well, I'll quickly say simulator for disc golf is never going to happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like you might have manufacturers and stuff have it, but it's not going to be anything like golf. I mean, there's so many. There's too many. There's so many companies that have tried to make golf simulators like a thing, as far as like uh, like you know where people come and play leagues and stuff. So many of them just don't work. I mean, I think you could see potentially like them having it at some manufacturers, you know, like dynamic disc, for example, they're huge in Emporia. I could see them having one. You could walk in and throw it into it. Uh, but as far as the tough part though, is like the, as far as like people owning them and yeah. stuff and then being reliable, I don't, I don't, I well, don't it'd be tough it. to learn each disc within the like software of like how a destroyer is going to react different than a Thunderbird than a, there's just so many, yeah, the so golf many, ball. It's pretty straightforward so of like how things. fast it's coming off a club. And it would be rate. fun still, if you, even if it wasn't that accurate, it would, it would actually be, fun. Still be really fun. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then your other question, someone actually brought up something similar to that a little bit instead of like putting the mozzarella sticks uh, you know, off the fairway is it kind of goes back to the bunkers, right? Of where having some sort of like lip. And I think we saw this a little bit at, I can't remember the name of the tournament, but there was one tournament that had uh, pretty deep bunkers. And so basically it forced players that threw into the bunker. They were essentially below the fairway and they had, you know, you know, something a foot or two above their head that they are now having to throw over and so that caused for a, a, a much shorter, you know, next shot because now you're having to throw higher up. You're not be able to throw on the plane that you want. So um, I think that, as far as like looks go, I think that would probably look better than just having like kind of sticks all over the place on the side of the fairway. Um, and if you throw, if you do end up throwing into those kind of like deep bunkers or whatever it may be. Uh, I think it would pretty much take almost a heroic shot to to make birdie, which would be exciting to watch as well. I Players will say I like the like huge flex shots yeah. or stuff. I like the stick idea as like a rough like like you land here, you're in trouble type of idea more so than like using it off the tee. I would just plant trees. But yeah, there's other there's other options for it. Yeah, but in a situation like Winthrop where you can't plant trees. I still don't like the Who's idea. Who's ever going to stop you from planting trees, man? Save the earth. You don't like the earth? Well, it's the a college campus where... They like, don't like the earth? It's a basically urban disc golf. Save the trees, man. All right. Well, we appreciate but, you calling yeah. in. Sorry, that got a little, I got a little off topic, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like the ideas, man. Hey, and if you do happen, if you do happen to find a d- disc golf simulator, you let me know. It's got to stick like an arrow, I think, to get the angle right. Oh, interesting. Dark Horse. But All yeah, right. Thank you for uh, taking my call. All right. Have a good one. He, lo- he lost me a little What's bit. What's got to stick like an arrow? He lost me a little bit the arrow situation. I think he was saying like like a dartboard, like where you throw a dart and it sticks in the dartboard or an arrow when you shoot an arrow on the but target. But what, what has to stick? Uh, the disc. The disc I in think the ground? Di- okay. No, I think in the, like the screen. Oh, like it just sticks in the, I don't know. That was hello. Hello. Who we got here? My name is Evan. I live in, uh, Alvin, Texas. Evan, what's going on, man? Oh, nothing. Um, got one question. How close are we to getting a larger company into the sport of disc golf? And what are some milestones we need to reach to have them in the sport? Well, I mean, we just saw, uh, I guess it depends on what type of like larger company you're saying. Cause we did just see, uh, LL Bean and Johnsonville be announced as you know sponsorship for the Pro Tour finale. 
Uh, Bushnell, I think, is a pretty large company. Uh, guaranteed Rate, the mortgage company, I just saw a commercial during the Ryder Cup um, for them. So they're also a pretty large company. I think when it comes to Adidas or Under Armour or Nike or something like that, which is probably more along the lines people say, I think that's more of a, a Brody question. But I think we're already at the point where larger companies are seeing the value in the Pro Tour and are starting to invest money into there. So the biggest question is just like, when will players have a big enough brand themselves, I think, to catch the eyes of Nike and Adidas, uh, unless you have other thoughts, Brody. Yeah, you know, I think it's just an, it's a numbers game, man. It's it's a simple simple thing as that of where you got to remember these companies that are large uh, when they actually do do these campaigns and marketing and all that. It, it is a lot of work to them, so they would much rather if they could, they would much rather do one and get all the numbers than do a hundred to get those numbers. So yeah. that that's the key is is making it worth their time. We want to make it to where. They look at the numbers that disc golf is bringing in, the eyeballs that disc golf has, and they can say, hey, you know, because to a big company, throwing $100,000 at something is nothing. Um, right. And that's the problem is we got to make it worth it to where they actually want to do it um, or else it's just not going to be worth their time. Like simply as that, there's like, yeah, we can see that there's value there, but just the headache of coming up with a marketing plan of making sure it's being executed, of doing all this stuff, like it's not even worth our time doing. So I think once that hits, then uh, we'll be looking good. Yeah, I agree. Um, that sounds good, man. I appreciate you answering my question. Heck yeah. Have a great one. All right, all right. I faded him out while he was still saying bye, but... That's nice. It's fine. We talk about this every week. I don't there know. There's a lot of thumbs down. There was? I did. Oh, you, you were gotta, on your phone tweeting, so I didn't know what to do because oh I can't hang up God. over here. Well, I was just letting people know that we're doing I, I wanted to tweet. You know, the Twitter is where the trolls live, and so I just wanted to let people know that we're taking live calls. We never, we still really haven't had anyone call in uh, that really, really wants to go after us. I'm still waiting for that. I don't know what just happened to that person. I'm sorry if that was you. Hello, hello. Hello. How's it going? Hi, this is Danny from Tucson, Arizona. Tucson. What's going on, Danny? What's up? Uh, just talking about the kind of the mozzarella sticks out in front at USDGC and everything like that. I mean, I don't really like that obstacle, but I think it just looks bad. I'm not saying it's bad because they're there. The optics. Um, but basically, I just wanted to ask you guys, since you guys are talking about fairways and everything like that, and design uh define fairways um what would you think about woods courses having to do kind of like what they did in the woods at preserve or at deglo where they put down i don't know how wide it was 10 or 15 feet of mulch just to give you a sense or a defined you know quote unquote defined fairway of where Mm -hmm. to hit or just like a manufactured or not manufactured but manicured surface for a certain width on the fairway and then maybe even in circle one for putting yeah so i'll say belton comes to mind with the uh circle one belton would um they they cut the the greens way way shorter than all the other grass around so visually it looked really good i think on camera and then also Uh, for players as well, it helped kind of give an, a gauge of where the circle, you know, 30 feet or whatever it was, um, close to the basket. And then I would say the other thing that I think is very visually 
uh, eye appealing would be just cutting the fairways the same way, letting letting the rough or wherever you don't want players necessarily to have you know a good shot land, letting that grass grow a little bit and cut the fairways. Um, right, and, and then that I think just from a from a viewing standpoint. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what USDGC does this year because mm-hmm. they have a lot of obviously OB and I think if they let the grass grow where the OB is and cut the fairway short, I think from a player standpoint and also if you're watching it as a spectator live or post or whatever, whatever it's going to be much easier to, to be able to be like, that was a good shot. Oh no, that was a bad shot. Yeah, I think right. you, for USDGC, the tough part is again they just don't have full control over the grounds. So yeah. letting the grass get knee high isn't exactly going to be. I don't even think Innova's in control of the grounds crew. Uh, I think it's just Winthrop's ground crew. But when you're on the grounds at USDGC, you can tell very clearly by the rope uh, exactly like OB hazard stuff like that. The color when you're on the ground, and you're throwing shots. It's pretty clear, pretty evident um, vis- visually, like through a camera. It can be tough. You almost have to know the course like a player to be able mm-hmm. to tell when you're inbounds or out of bounds. An idea like this, I think, is helpful. But when it comes to a tournament like USDGC and some of the other things, we have to remember, too, that a lot of places they're playing are still currently public parks. Yeah. And finding a fairway in the middle of a grass field of a public park might be frowned upon currently. A place like Maple Hill or something like that, though, where it's private and it's only disc golf. Heck yeah. All right. Appreciate sure. you calling in. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. Do we have the number up? It's going up right now. I put it up when there's no caller. Oh, okay. Yeah. Some people were asking what the number was. So there it is. All right. Uh, I, I think I'm going to have to start Julius Caesaring people if it's not a debate. I'm fine with it. Because I feel like some you just people. You got to send it. So yeah. So if you're calling and you're just asking a question, unfortunately, that's a different podcast. This is, uh, we're, we're trying to hit debate. So if you don't give us the debate, you're going to get Julius Caesar. Hello. Hello. No pressure. What's going on, guys? Oh, we're chilling. Who's it? Who's this? This is Ty from Fayetteville, Arkansas. Woo, pig, sweet. Oh, okay. SEC in the house. What's going on, man? Yes, sir. First thing I want to say is that Arkansas is actually the third best team in the SEC, not the Florida Gators. Get that Gator Chomp crap out of here. <laughs> I love it already. <laughs> I, I disagree heavily. <laughs> heavily. Um, Aren't you guys about to play? Who do you guys play this week? What's going on? Who do you guys play this week? We are playing the University of Georgia. Oh, we'll see how that goes. It's college game day, so it's going to be a pretty good game. All right, we'll see how that goes because we had a pretty good game Um, against Bama. So, all right. All right, what what do you got for us? I know this isn't a football podcast. It's a disc golf podcast. Let me get to some disc golf here. I want to talk about Big Germ's bag situation. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to discuss that yet or not. I just kind of tuned in. Have Mm -hmm. you guys talked about it at all? No, we actually haven't mentioned it. No. Okay, so – I believe that germ is like 70% to blame for the whole bag situation. Interesting. Okay. Let me explain. So obviously it sucks. It's someone broke into his car and stole mm-hmm. his bag. But mm-hmm. if you're a professional disc golfer, like your bag is basically like your wedding ring, your wallet. It's your whole livelihood and you should not be leaving it somewhere where someone could take it. So like that thing would be in my hotel room locked up in a safe if i had one big enough i want to hear what y'all's thoughts are since you guys are both people with bags that you care about i mean here 
I think obviously the best move is to have it in your hotel room, sure. But to say he's seventy percent to blame <laughs> for someone breaking into his car. Well, the, you the have person, to remember. You have to remember. Hunter has recently had a, a someone throw a rock through his car, so he has a little bit I'm of a saying, personal attach attachment to this topic. All I'm saying is the person who. I don't know, chose to break the law and break into a car and steal stuff out of it is 100% to blame. Like, you can say, like, yeah, Germ could have been smarter and had the disc in his room, yep. but you can't say 70% to blame. <laughs> I mean, that's saying, the, that's saying the person who committed a crime is 30% to blame for the crime. Like, that's, that's insane. All right, all right. That was, that was a hot take. I just wanted to get your reaction to that. <laughs> my, uh, my real question, or my real debate is, I think that the memorial should go back to being an elite series event. Oh, God. Ew. Why? <laughs> okay. I'll tell you why. First of all, the way that it's set up, first of all, Phoenix is a city with 5 million people in the area. So if you want exposure, if you want those big crowds in the videos, you want a lot of people watching, make it a big event. There are tons of people. The disc golf community in Phoenix is crazy. The courses, I get that they're not the best, but I want to hear your, your thoughts on this. I would say I would say from playing it and going to was I there for All Star Weekend? I was. Vista yeah. and Fountain Hills. Yeah, I was there for All Star Weekend as well. Um, I, I will say that I think a lot of other places are you know have insane amount of fans of disc golf, and so I don't think you can right now say hey we got to go here because there's a lot of people that like disc golf. Um, I just don't think you can because it, the course is not good. This is not good at all. So I think it's boring to watch for spectators at home. Well, they also can't lock the park down. They right can't now. lock the park down. That's so the you, toughest you, thing. So that's where it's real tough to have any sort of – because the other thing we're not even discussing right now is the fact that these these tournaments and stuff, they need to, they need to slowly over time like build out, right? Like right now, tournaments – like you don't really even see anything really happening the first couple days before the event. Heck, I, I've had I've had practice rounds at Memorial where we're having to like walk up three four hundred feet to tell people like, hey, can you not have your picnic right in the middle of the fairway? So you don't really like before the tournament, you don't even really see anything really happening. Like there's actually going to be an event there, and that is I think something down the road will happen. Like. Any other uh, sporting event, they normally will have stuff going on uh, leading up to that event. Same thing, I'm sure, like the Arkansas-Georgia game. I, I doubt that there's nothing happening before the game starts, right? Like nothing's happening right. in the games. There's, there's going to be tons of events happening prior, and I think the Disc Golf Pro Tour wants to do that as well. How the heck are they going to be doing that at an open park mm -hmm. where anyone like, right. I mean, just think about how terrible parking could potentially be when you talk about all these fans and stuff like what if what if there's a uh, over 70s walkathon going on? <laughs> Such a uh, random example. No, there, if you've been to Memorial, you know, there's a lot of elderly people. A lot of people go there and retire. Oh, yeah. So, like, what if there's like a you know it's Susie sends out an email to everyone saying, "Hey, let's show up at eight o'clock and walk," and all of a sudden you've got a hundred elderly women power walking through the park, and now like the parking is—I mean, there's just a lot of things that could that could go wrong. So, 
I would say I mean, that. We were talking about obstacles earlier. What better obstacle than not hitting a million Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, I, I, I think right. it's fine. All right. I think all it's right, fine saying. Right. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Get him out of here. <laughs> I think Get it, this guy out of here. I just want to say, yeah, it probably, it probably belongs to the Silver Series. You guys are right about that. And I just wanted to thank you guys for letting me call. And thank you for your time and for your perspective on this of stuff. Of course, so, man. Go, go Hogs. Go Gators. Y'all have a good one. Hey, good luck this weekend. All right. Take it easy, brother. Yes, sir. I think they're just going to get absolutely smashed by Georgia. <laughs> I will I say. I think they're going to get smashed. The, the whole, like, it's a popular area. Fine argument. You got to have the course to back it up, though. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't you matter. You can't go to a popular area and have a trash course. Yeah, people will drive yeah. hours away from popular the 70, areas. To the 70% watch a good thing for someone creating crime is wild. Hello, hello. Hey, this is Jack from Massachusetts. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing pretty well, doing pretty well. So here is my, I hope it's a debate topic. You know, I've been listening. It's like kind of debate, kind of not. Hopefully this one gets you guys kind of fired up. So I think that at all disc golf pro tour events, there needs to be a certified official that is not a player on each hole and at the beginning to before the round even starts and at the very end. And uh, really, I've been thinking this since Waco, um, specifically, um nico was taking a lot of time there in that final round when things were starting to blow up for him and uh killed a nice guy so he's not calling him on that but it needs to be called in my opinion you know our sport has rules um and then also and this is something that i don't think gets talked about ever but it should um is that discs say pdga approved for a reason so why aren't we enforcing to make sure that all discs people are using our pdga approved Ooh. And I think that's where the person at the beginning of the round is there to, or a couple people, because that can get tedious, but to go through everybody's bag and make sure that the only discs that they have in there are PDGA approved. Which one do you want to go first? Well, I think that on the PDGA approved topic, I think that having to check every single player's bag is a nightmare. We've talked about it before. I think it was actually with Paul way back. With and the I destroyers. Think uh, yeah, it might have been with the destroyers. It was Ricky's destroyers came out. All came out heavy. 180 grams yeah. or something. They were not PGA approved, but um, the well, they were like the Ricky running destroyers, not destroyers in Ricky's bag, because that can get really confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that the way to do that would be uh, random checks during player check-in, so you don't know if your bag is going to get checked or not. So basically, you have to have it up to standard because if you if you go to check-in. And you're, you know, they check your bag and they can weigh every disc in your bag and make sure it's up to PJ standards. And if one's wrong, then you get some type of how do they do that? How do they something. do that in baseball? Do you know? Well, baseball, like the grip, they can call it at any point in the game. The other team can say, "Hey, I think, I think." Yeah, and then the on. umpire walks out the and you check. Is that the same thing with like the uh, deflated footballs? I'm not sure. I'm more. I'm more thinking of it like as like other a, people calling. The, I'm more thinking of it as, as like a pro tour random drug test type situation. But instead yeah. of drug test, it's random disc test. Instead of like players saying, "I think this." Person yeah, is the throwing. pro tour is randomly checking the entire okay. field just to kind of keep you. Yeah, but as far as the officials, um, I personally think it doesn't need to be every single hole and before and after because now we're talking twenty some volunteers that are all certified officials at every event. But I do think, and it, it looked like in the PDGA's announcement today that this was something they were going to try yeah. to put more emphasis on. It's awesome to see. Was uh, just, I, personally my my like goal would be like one every six holes, or maybe one every three holes, so three to six people, to where you can call them over so that a problem isn't going to go on for the entire round. So after three or four holes, you can be like, "Hey, 
Nico's been taking so long in his putts. Can you walk with us for a few holes and enforce the rule? Yeah, that type get, of thing. Get those babies on a bird, and they'll f- zip around the course in no time. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, my oh, oh go ahead. Sorry about that. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, my thought about having not having one on each hole is because so like you know there there are countless examples of you know somebody making a call and it just changing the whole dynamic of the card. You know, you can you can find. Uh, you know, compilations on YouTube all yeah. over the place, you yeah. know, of, of that happening, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you have an official, let's say you have an official that's, um, you know, is only, you know, for like every four to six holes, you know, if on that first hole that those players get there, he calls something, that player's going to have an issue with that official for the remainder of the holes that he's there, right? So like, you know, he could call somebody on a footfall or on a time violation on their first or second hole with that official. And by the time they get to the end, if he's still calling things, he or she, he or she is still calling things, then that player could just be, you know, making it worse and worse and worse and more tense for everybody because they'll just keep having the same issue with the same official. That's why I think that, you know, more of one on each hole, though I understand that that's, you know, that is a lot of certified officials and volunteers, you know, it's, you can, it's more, it's more unbiased and more balanced the whole way through yeah i mean i think in a perfect world that'd be awesome i just don't think that's ever gonna happen fair yeah fair fair enough have a good one brother guys appreciate it yeah i mean i think if you look at it like it's already hard enough to get like someone that knows how u-disc works now to think that you're gonna get 18 yeah or 36 people if the fpo is playing a different course that like know all the rules i mean you're dreaming there's a reason why there's not 50 refs in like certain situations it's because you know it's tough to get everyone on the same page hello 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 this is joseph from chattanooga tennessee what's going on man how you doing uh pretty good pretty good i think y'all should debate about like players showing more emotion like when you watch nba or nfl and like somebody does something really sweet you see them like celebrate Mm -hmm. and a disc off you like you may have like Ricky do Raptor legs after one big putt or something, but I, I feel like everybody's too robotic mm. and it's kind of holding the sport back. Cause like, I mean, you have Chris Dickerson. I love him to death, but like, it's like a robot out there. He makes his putt. He just slowly, you know, he walks it in, grabs it. And I love him. Like he's one of my favorite players, but he doesn't show emotion. And I mean, you need that, but you also need kind of like the bad boy kind of like Nico to kind of, get everybody riled up and debating and growing the sport that way too. And I feel like we only have Nico. We don't have anybody else. Yeah. I mean, do you have anything to say on it? I, I mean, I think that comparing it to basketball is tough just because yeah, it's a completely different sport. Well, once, like if LeBron once, dunks on someone, yeah, of course he's going to flex on them. But yeah. if I hit a 25 foot putt, I'd look yeah. like an idiot if I beat my chest and, you know, <laughs> after a 25 footer, I'm like, what are you yeah. doing? I think, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think right well, I mean, now, you know, go ahead. Well, like in golf, like even if we compare it to golf, like you have the golfers that get mad and throw their bag in the lake. Oh, you no, you, I mean? you have that in disc golf. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the cameras, like I see it for Nico, but I don't see them covering it for anybody else. Like we had that one blow up. Well, I think Nico, I think Nico is just, uh, he, what is it called? He's the martyr. Is that the one I'm looking for? I don't know where like everyone just when you talk about something you're like oh yeah Nico Nico yeah I'll tell you right now man I've played with a lot of people they swear they curse they 
punch the ground. They kick their bag. They, they, you know, tear, not tear, but they fold their discs. And, I mean, Eagle two years ago punched the ground and broke yeah. his hand, had to drop out of USDGC. So I think if you look hard enough, you'll see it. And definitely if you go to a pro tour event and you like walk with a group for the entire time, you definitely will see it. So, but see, I wish they would cover that more on like the live production. Like Paul misses a 40. They do. They do. Picks his bag. They do. I, I mean, I, I yeah, just keep it, keep it, keep an eye out for it. Keep an eye out for it. I just think it'd be cool for like a nomad of Paul missing a 40 foot putt and he just turns around and punts his bag. That'd be pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good night. Thanks for calling in. All right. I, I think, I, I think a lot of people do do that stuff. And I think we've seen, well, I think a lot part of, of it is he was referring a lot to post-produce and yeah, of course you're cutting that too quick. Yeah. Well, of course you're cutting that out of post-produce. It, that didn't well, sound like you? someone that watched live. Cause if you watch live, you're like, you're like, I don't know what you're going to do. You missed a putt. And like, I'm well, I literally got the camera Adam Ham is not to bring this back up. Cause I know people, he hates when people bring it back up. A few years ago, the camera's too close to him after oh, all. I thought you're talking, I thought you were way. talking about the worlds where he sh- slammed it down that and it too. bounced off the that basket. Too. That's all been on camera. Yeah. I think, but if you're not watching live, you're not, not seeing that, that. because I, of course you're cutting that out. And then I'll say the celebration thing where you're like, if I make a 25 footer, I'm going to look like an idiot. I think that's because how quick disc golf is. Yeah. It's how quick it disc gets to the basket, how quick it disc gets to the basket. But then also like, like as you're walking to get your, your disc out of the basket, someone else is already preparing their putt. So it's almost this thing of like you trying to get out of their way where I think as crowds get bigger, more roars and stuff like that, you can get a little more celebration with the crowd as you walk up to the basket and it's not so much like get out of the way. So, yeah. All right. We got another one coming in here. All right. I'm going to start. Who's uh, who's Julius Caesaring? Yep. Hello. 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 Can you hear me? Yes, we can. How's it going? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing wonderful. All right, so here's what I'm thinking. I am thinking that the PDGA pretty much killed itself today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how so? What do they do now? What do they do good? Did they do anything of value anymore? Like They really weren't doing much of the tour before. They're kind of running that terribly. But now I'm thinking like, they can't even hide behind that anymore. They can't even like have the, myster- the mysteriousness of like, oh, they do all the big tour events and stuff. They have nothing now. They're just bidding that crap out and making money off it. I mean, this this is exactly what I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast (laughs) where, like, this isn't on you. I'm not saying something bad about you. The PDGA is just doing a bad job of marketing themselves to where players don't know what the PDGA does. Like, the PDGA... actually. Yeah, like, they they do a lot of stuff behind the scenes. As a tournament director, I am very grateful for the PDGA and the advancements they've made on the tournament manager, the insurance they provide, the sanctioning that whole process, the actual rule system. But if I had never run a tournament, I'd be in the same boat as you. Like, screw these guys. They just <laughs> they just put out the one thing they do. They just gave it to someone else. Well, I mean, you got to look at it like, I looked at the financials. If you look at the financials, take the tour away, they, they pretty much exist to kind of self-sustain. Like, between the cards that they mail out, fulfillment, blah, 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 that nonsense, and their actual expenses just to pay themselves, that's like $3 million out of the 4.6. They, and then they have $200,000 expense to the tour. It's nonsense. They have their own like private getaway where it's like a disc golf hall of fame slash living, comfortable living room arrangement is <laughs> down in Georgia, which is, you know, a thousand miles away from everybody. 
And uh, they don't have camping, and they don't have RV hookups. Everyone on tour lives in a van. They could do a big deal there. No elite stuff there. They should be. That should be like the course, the course that blows minds. It should be wired for cameras, everything. But they don't do anything like that. And what you're talking about, like helping with like the insurance, we could like we could whip that together. An insurance. I could call my Allstate guy, and he could put something together for us. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I, I mean, love it. You made hey, a lot of sense. I think the thing is, though, is what you're talking about right now, I can't, I don't have the information, so I can't confirm or deny. The financial stuff he brought up is, I don't know if those exact numbers are dead on accurate, but when I looked at it, a big chunk was going to stuff that you're like, is that what most of the money from the PDGA should oh, no, be like, going into? So I it's think existing stuff. Yeah, I think they got other other expenses, trademark, legal services, business fees, four hundred thirty thousand. A lot of that. A, a lot of that is the paying for the rating system. That's what people I think still don't know somehow. Well, we paid a million dollars for that. IT, over like two hundred forty-four thousand dollars. And by the way, if I had the algorithm that they use, I could do it from my home computer. It's not that. It's not that complicated. Well, I yeah, and by I, the can, way, I'm also I can do it my retirement. I can do it. I I was able to do it myself on an Excel spreadsheet. That's how I knew how close I was to getting to a thousand. Like I was able, I was, I was literally like 0.3, like I was in between like 0.3 and like 1.5 every single time. Yours is probably the closer one. Okay. They probably just have rounding errors from like (laughs) using their old, but I think, I think guidance computer. I think what you're, uh, I think what you're saying though, we're going to start seeing more of it because as more money is coming into the sport, as more fans are coming into the sport, you have more people that are like, what is going on? It's a lot easier when you don't have as many people in the sport to like be like, hey, what? where is our money going? But well, as things get bigger uh, and bigger, you're going to have more and more questions that you have to answer. Here's a comparison for you. I always thought like, oh, yeah, they're growing the sport. They always picture like kids and their families playing. $25,000 went to youth and education, 88000 for marketing. Mm. You know, that's... Their international disc golf center, sixty-two thousand. That's probably a profit center. Uh, they probably make money off that too. But they don't like you're talking about the ratings. They charge for that. If you if you're on a tournament that's sanctioned, you're paying for that. Yeah. They invented U disc three years after U disc did it right. You know they're reinventing wheels out of you know square blocks. Uh, it's just they're not they're not bringing anything new to the game. They're not. You know, what what am I fifty dollars a month for a ID card? The ID cards in fulfillment that's one and a half million dollars. Uh, you know, give me an app that has my card number on it, or I could write it down on my hand. <laughs> I do find it. What are we doing I, here? I am curious how, how. Do you know how much money? Because uh, this this is actually kind of interesting. Do you know how much money they spend on like that monthly magazine they send out? Well, fulfillment was seven hundred and seventy-six thousand dollars, which is receiving fulfill membership, membership, blah blah blah. Um, and then I don't know member benefits. It might be which was six hundred forty-seven thousand dollars, which is new disc, new member minis, Aceberg and Eagle Club gifts, ratings, ten and twenty-year member bag tags, contact support, stickers, etc. Dang. So I don't know which one it is. It's out of that one and a half million, but you know, like. That's an advertisement. That's not like out of you know, like some big out of pocket expenses. They're pure, you know, no, no corporate interference. That thing that's got like two pages of content and like eighty thousand pictures of discs. 
that I can't buy. Well, they have to, you know, I'll say this. I, I know, I know Hunter wants to dig more into these numbers and stuff. And I think you bring up a lot of stuff. I mean, I don't think we're going to really talk more about it than what we've already mm-hmm. have, but I think people mm-hmm. listening, uh, it might be eye opening to some people to hear these numbers. And, uh, I would definitely say if you are a PDGA member and you want to know for yourself, you can do the research. You can go and check it out. So we appreciate you calling in and giving a, us those, that info. I've got a wall of text going up on the debate club on Facebook. Also, your shirt reminds me of uh, Saved by the Bell. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a great night. This, I do call this my Saved by the Bell shirt. So that was dang. Wow. He was ready. Like, I feel like it wasn't really a debate, but that was probably the best non-debate call we've ever had. All right, I think we take one more debate call. So if you really are feeling spicy, if you got something good, man, that was, that I mean, was it's tough to follow that up. He was just... He was feeling it. He was... Hopefully, he's a, he's a uh, concurrent caller. Hello, hello. Hello? Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Who we got? Going pretty well. I'm Jacob. I'm from Jackson, Mississippi. Oh, very well. Jacob, what, what do you got for us? So I think there's a problem in disc golf in the rules, um, and it, it will be a lot like baseball and what baseball has right now. So the rules around things that will help with like um, the bags. Some people use talk. Some people use a lot of different things like that. Um, recently in a tournament down here in Mississippi, somebody was using for a little bit better and there was um, nothing in the rules about it, so they had to let him use it. There was a lot more risk. There's a lot more angles that he was able to hit that a lot of us weren't because he had just better grip and was able to throw the disc a lot better. Is anyone else hearing that popping I think. I think... Is there popcorn going on in the back? Are you making popcorn down there? It's definitely it's something Dude, no, with the connection. It's something with the connection. You're, you're not making any popcorn. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh, hang up on you just because of the popping noise. But we'll try to answer your question. Sorry, I, that's like a mini Julius Caesar. That might be. I don't know if I count that as the first one. Uh, just because it did sound like popcorn was being popped. For some reason, it was it happened exactly when you were touching your mic. So I thought it no, was I you touching my, your I mic. mic. It's <laughs> I was like I muted you, then I muted me, and then I like he was in the middle of talking. So I didn't want to mute him, but like I kind of had to. Uh, I, I, actually, I don't even I know his question. It was something about grip, but I was so focused <laughs> on the popping that I don't know what happened. I know now. I just want to have just, kettle, I, just bring the next person. I want to have some kettle corn popcorn now. That's all I'm thinking. Hello, hello. Who we got? Hey, uh, this is Josh Greenway from Augusta, Georgia. Josh, what's going on, brother? Not much. How are y'all? Oh, we're chilling, man. Uh, well, I brought up a topic last week in the comments, and I was just going to see y'all's thoughts on it. But it was uh, in regards to rebranding how we sell discs. And it was something that my buddy had talked to me about, and I really debated with him about it. And I wasn't sure if I agreed, but I was just going to see y'all's opinion. But, um, just uh, rebranding the disc in a way that maybe it's not as like of a kitty sport, you know. Maybe somebody looks on the outside and sees a disc called like. Oh, you're talking about the names. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, did we talk about that previously on here, or was that just in the comments? And I just remember it from there. I don't know. I'll, I'll say I'll put it this way. I think the most professional naming system, looks wise, is the Discmania or the Prodigy naming system: D1, D2, MD3. PD2, P2, so on and so forth. Issue with that is once you make a D1, that is your most overstable driver. 
So whereas like a end of a naming system of like an archangel, T-bird, firebird might seem, or like you can go with any other company that's doing it that way, might seem where it's a little bit more like, as you said, kiddish or something like that. Um, I think it's the better way simply because it allows as much freedom as possible. So as the game develops, the Eagle, for instance, was one of their like OG discs. Imagine that being their D1. That's like their fastest, almost oversable driver. And now the game has developed 30 years past it and we need a 12 speed, but their D1 is a seven speed. And it's like, well, we kind of backed ourselves into a corner. So then you have to make the X1 or the H1 V2 and stuff like that to where you put handcuffs on yourself if you if you abide by a more professional looking naming system and i'll say this i think a lot of people will be surprised with my with my answer to this is you would think i would want it to be more like that like the dismania prodigy way but i'm now thinking about it there are a lot of other sports that have specific like unique names like golf clubs for example uh the driver for callaway just because um i worked with callaway i know him decently well you had the epic you had the flash um i think maverick might have been even one so there's names there i'm sure tennis rackets you've got names shoes for basketball have specific names for them like i i just think there are a lot of other sports that do it as well uh big bertha that's a great name um and so like at, at at first when you think of golf you're like all right driver seven iron putter but they do actually have names and i think if you do dig into a little you know tennis rackets baseball gloves baseball bats um i think you won't see that kind of standardized like numbering system or lettering system i think they will have unique names and so um you know are some of the names kind of whack? Sure. But those those discs probably won't sell that well. So I think companies will start realizing what names are doing well and what names don't um, and go go from there. Do you do you think that you could brand a set more as like like if you had a lineup of like I know like you can buy beginner packs, you know, of just a few different discs, a putter mm-hmm. driver or whatever, but like if you branded it in a store with a section of disc golf stuff and you've got like this whole section of, of, of prodigy. And it's like this set that's got everything you need. And for somebody who goes oh. in, like, I want to start disc golf. Oh, like a know, 10, like got, a 10 piece set almost like a full bag. Right. And it's like branded. Maybe it's all a similar color and like, it's all similar design. The bag matches and everything, but it's like a, you brand it to where somebody comes in and like, I want to start disc golf. This is what I'm getting. Yeah. And I don't know. No, I mean, I think I think the way that beginner sets are set up right now make a lot of sense because it is like sixty bucks or something like that. I think is normally the price range for a, a three disc beginner set, something like that. And uh, you know, I think if someone is like trying to, you know, just try something out for the first time, I think that's a good price point for them just to get three discs and go out there. Now, when you're talking about uh, you know adding ten discs, now you're looking at a price point of anywhere from what 150 to 200 dollars and you add a bag in there now you're looking at like 300 dollars i think that might be a tougher sell because for the most part from what i have seen with new players is they go to the course a couple times they have no idea what they're doing and they either right. love it and they go and they start researching and watching videos and stuff 
or you have like local pros or local players in the area start helping them being like, Hey, you need to try this disc out. You need to try this. And then people love being able to go if they can have a store, be able to go and actually see the disc and try, you know, pick them up, hold them, feel them. Um, so that's why I don't think it would make the same sense as like something like in golf where you go in and you can literally buy a full iron set. Um, because, each, you know, I can go in and buy an iron set and Hunter can go in and buy an iron, iron set and it's going to do the same basically for us where, you know, some discs based off of how, I don't know. I, I think it's just a tougher sell. I think it's a tougher sell, you know, trying to get someone to spend $200, $300 on disc golf right off the bat. Right. No, that so, makes sense. I, I was on the board too and that was something I just talked about with my buddy. But it is an interesting thing. Somewhere. I think I yeah. think it could work. I don't think it would work necessarily for like beginners, but it could potentially work for like if you wanted to like give a deal, right? Where it's like, hey, you get a bag and ten discs. This would normally cost you like if you did it like a la carte. This would normally cost you like five hundred dollars. You can get it for three seventy five. I think player some players will do that. So I think that's right. how you would do it. Is more of like a uh, a discount off of like buying it, you know, as a batch. So all right. Well, appreciate it, man. Thanks for so much for calling in. Have a wonderful night. You too. All right. You know I what? I don't know what beginner sets you've been buying. What are you talking about? You said 60 bucks for a beginner set. Three discs. How much are three discs? I mean, they mainly sell for like 25 to 30 bucks. They sell three disc sets. For I mean, we have bucks? a beginner set. I'll look at our beginner look set. Look at our beginner set. My gosh. Do we are we having a steal right now? Well, Could- the whole point of a beginner set is you give them a deal for buying it in a pack. Well, I mean, yeah, but I'm still thinking. I mean, and we're not I'm even thinking, the manufacturer. I'm thinking like now. sixty dollars in the sense of like that'd be three of the most expensive discs you could possibly buy. But like sales tax, the heck, shipping, right? Well, you didn't say. Okay, you I didn't know. say two years. I know. I'm start. I know. I know. I'm. I'm trying to like. You're I'm trying, trying to dig myself trying to out dig of a hole out. right now. My bad. Forty five dollars with tax. No, that includes tax. That includes tax and shipping. Forty five. And shipping? What is our start? I'm, set I'm, at? I'm finding it. I'm fi- dang it. What did I just do? Oh boy. I'm, um, I'm just fine. I'm finding our starter set. Okay. Well, you know, I'm super. It, it, yeah, maybe I'm rocking the Gucci starter set. You that's, must. You that's must have went. You sh- you're doing. shopping at Louis Vuitton or something. The Louis. 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 What do we call it? Uh, I don't know. But oh, here we go. Starter pack. So the trilogy starter pack, baseline twenty seven, discraft all premium thirty four. Okay, thirty-four bucks for what? What do you get? A scorch? It was a heat, heat, uh, soul, and a challenger. Heat, soul, challenger for thirty-four bucks. So it normally would be. Uh, I remember. I can't do the math. Normally okay. be like forty some, forty to fifty. All right, range. so it's like a ten dollar discount for getting them. Yeah. All right. All right. That's not bad. Your starter set, which were three twenty dollars discs, know, was even cheaper than you named. Okay, to be fair though, you like I, I don't you struggled with numbers like thirty minutes ago. I don't know what topic was, but you didn't even try. You were just like the numbers got to me. I'm not even gonna try. I don't know what it was. Maybe I just made that up too. I think you just made that up. Who knows? I you know what I'm really against you know, just to go kind of I don't I don't know if this is going more into the bogey banner situation, but uh what I'm really excited about is the live stream tomorrow. Oh, the ping pong live stream. Yeah. That's something that we can do a quick debate about. Can I can I just ask a question live on air? Oh, geez. May I? I know it's against, against office rules. Yeah. 
may I get my paddle back for the ping pong live stream, even okay. though I lost it fair and square. So let me let me guys explain what we're talking about. So well, actually, um, I have to explain what we're talking about because if you explain it, it's well, also, no, 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 it gonna, also breaks office rules. I, it's true, but I'm not going to explain that part. Okay. I'm going to get to. The, I, I always mess up the company's name. What's the company's name? Foundation Disc Golf. No, no, no. <laughs> Stiga. 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 Okay. So Stiga hooked us up with a, a dope, dope ping pong table. Uh, potentially, actually, it's probably pronounced table tennis because that's how nice it is. And they hooked us up with, I believe, like seven paddles, six paddles. A lot of paddles. We looked it up. The paddles are like $100 a piece. Yeah. Very nice paddles. So we immediately all claimed a paddle and signed the paddle, okay? And the, the packaging for the paddle. The we pack- we're yeah. not maniacs. No, no, no. We're, yeah, we're not signing a paddle. We, we also put all of our paddles back into the boxes after we're done playing. Yeah, after every day. We're respectable players here. So we made the rule that if you use someone else's paddle or if someone else like comes in, like if your buddy comes in and it's like, hey, after hours, let's play some table tennis, comes in and you let him use my paddle and I find out about it, we get a ping pong sting you in the back, yeah. right? So for each each instance, for yeah. So we're super stingy about the paddle situation. Now we do have two paddles that are absolute disgusting. These are the paddles that you would like go down to your like grandparents' house that have just been like sitting there for forty years, and they have like no padding, and you like hear it. It's like ding ding ding. It's yeah, like, it's the cheapest paddle you can get. Cheapest paddle. We, we got ha- them. They're from my house. Because it was like we used to have, we played Polish Your parents' house or your grandparents' My house? My parents' house. Yep. Which they are grandparents now because I have two nieces. So Point. Um, but basically, we would play a game called Polish Ping Pong, and you'd have to, we'd have up to 14 people playing at once, and so we needed cheap paddles. So we just went to, I don't yeah, even know where we, sense. Walmart maybe, and bought the cheapest paddles we could get our hands on because for Polish, you, don't, you're, you just got to get it matter. back on the table. Yeah. You're, not, you're not playing competitive ping pong. Yeah. So the rule was if you get skunked, and we played, so if you play to 21, a skunk is 11-0. If you play to 11, a skunk is 7-0. If you get skunked, you are no longer allowed to use your paddle for the rest of the week, and you have to use one of the crappy paddles. And um, I can't talk about anything so else. So that's the secondary rule is to save. We're all way too competitive in this office to allow people to gloat about wins. So we made a rule that if you mention your win... You also get stung, so you also can have a free sting pong hit. Um, so y- you can choose if you want to gloat about your win, but it's going to come with a punishment. It's also a great way for someone who I just took, lost. I took one today. You did. I, well, I you haven't know. gotten it yet. I haven't gotten it, but I did. I did let everyone know. I don't want to get another one, but I let everyone know. So basically, so what ended up happening is Brody skunked Connor. I'm a third party. I can talk about it, and Brody skunked me. And so then we made up an artificial rule of Connor and I had a skunk match of where we both used our skunk paddles and whoever won the skunk match got to get the real paddle back. I lost that to Connor. It was competitive at least. I lost that to Connor. So now we're supposed to stream a ping pong like tournament. At least it's at least going to be me, Brody and Trevor tomorrow night. Uh, We normally stream video games on Twitch tomorrow. We're going to stream ping pong and I'm just trying to ask if I can get my paddle back just for the tournament because if not, I'm just going to get skunked and skunked and skunked and skunked. It's just for a week. The skunk skunk rule lasts for a week, but I need it for this week. So if it is us three, I think it needs to be unanimous between us three. I'll bring it up to Trevor. So you obviously are saying you want your paddle back. Yes. My vote is I don't think it matters one way or the other for me. I just want it back for two hours. I'm willing to give up Monday 
Well, we'll be at UCC. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter to me. I'm willing to give up you, another day. You can use whatever paddle you want. I don't care. It's not going to matter. Well, tomorrow's a different day. It's, you it's you were you were on something today. No, I I kind of I want to get you tested you, for PEDs. After no, you want me to today. tell you what? I, I'll give you a little. I'll give you a little pro tip. This is exactly what I did. Okay, I did play the national champion in Taiwan. Okay, so you warmed up national champion going, in matter. Taiwan. Um, I watched the ball. What? I watched the ball. You watched? Watched. You watched the ball. I watched the ball. What do you normally watch? So I don't know. <laughs> what are you I normally think, watching? I think I was watching. I think I got, it was almost like the receiver that is like, starts running and starts looking about where they're running before they've caught the ball. I think I was doing that in table tennis. I think I was like, when the ball was coming in, I was looking more about where I was trying to hit it based off of where you were. Then watching the ball hit my paddle, and I went back into my uh, tennis days where I just ran. I, I don't know what. I, I, I took down everyone in Jacksonville, okay? Go look at the records. U14. I'll bring the trophies in to prove it. No one was even close. And one of the things that I was taught was you watch the ball hit your racket. Okay. You watch the ball hit your racket and follow through through your racket. I started doing that. In table tennis, and it was just night night for everyone. So I don't. I just want my paddle back tomorrow. Maybe I don't. Maybe I want an excuse. I want it back just because I think I can give Trevor a competitive game. Without my paddle back, I won't give Trevor a competitive game. But if you want to check that out, I believe it's going to be on our main YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to put it on the foundation main disc YouTube golf, channel main tomorrow channel. night. We're also going to force it win winner and loser of each match is going to have to go into a press conference. Yes, uh, immediately following the there match, there will be press conference that will get interesting. Like I said, we are extremely competitive, and if we go two hours of nothing but ping pong, we're shooting are going to get for two hours, eight to ten. Whew, I got to drink a Red Bull. Eight to ten. I got to go to bed. Yeah. What are we doing? So don't worry. Uh, if you want to check that out, we'll post more about it tomorrow. It's going to be on our main channel, uh, Foundation Disc Golf. You'll be able to check it out. Um, we're going to, we, it's at least going to be me, you, and Trevor. Hopefully we can get Connor in. He was on the fence. Possibly we can sneak Silas and Carson in, depending on what they're doing. Maybe even get Steph Curry in. He was in the chat earlier. Oh, nice. Um, also, just want to say next week is the USDGC. We will, I will be there playing, competing. You guys will be doing uh, tons of media as well, so stay tuned for that. I think debate night. I think we should do a. I think we should do a big debate night next week. I think we should bring in some big boys. Okay. I think we should add add a little flavor to the to the to the podcast. So we will have. I don't know who yet, but there will be new faces okay. next week. I there just we go. I just decided. Yeah, and uh, if you're interested in what we we have planned for USDGC, be sure to tune into Grip Locked this Thursday. Mm. We're going to go through our detailed plan of basically there's going to be like five Grip Locked episodes. It's going to be uh, full Grip Locked episodes from USDGC. Going to be super exciting um, and we'll walk through kind of what that's going to look like and we'll be at USDGC all week. Super exciting Polos. Stuff. Get your polos. If you're listening to this late, you're they're probably gone. But get your polos, foundationdiss.com. Thank you guys all so much for your support. I don't even know how to close this out. You close this out. Yeah. Well, you're supposed to do your call out. Oh, yeah. What the heck? Hey, all you people on Twitter, there was someone that called me a mediocre disc golfer, which I then said, yes, I am a mediocre touring professional. I don't think I'm a mediocre disc golfer. I think also people have no idea what the word mediocre means. Uh, but hey, if you're if you're watching this, I'll probably post a clip. Maybe I'll post this clip on Twitter because there's a lot of people that like to talk on Twitter. But 
Yeah, they won't call in. The number's free. I guess there was some, you know, people saying that they couldn't, they couldn't call in, uh, they couldn't call in because they're international, right? So okay, that, if you, if all these Twitter people are international, that's fine. But call in. Let's have a discussion. Let's talk. What, what's going on? What's happening? Let's talk about it. Twitter, 140 characters, I think. Uh, also, I got a 26 in my uh, English ACT. It's not easy for me. I contradict myself constantly. I spell words wrong. Come on here. Talk to me uh, face to audio. And we'll go that way. There you go. We'll see you all next week. 